Now for a while I talked through Galatians and Ephesians and uh, Colossians and then Romans and all kinds of stuff, different places and everything, and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and everything, and then I decided, you know, I, I don't think just teaching the book by book by book is as exciting as teaching it by subject. So I've decided for a while anyway to go back to some of my old ways, and that's pulling out a subject and see what the Word of God has to say about that. And when we do that, we just get to jump all over the book. And I love that. So we're going to get to see what the Word of God has to say about different things. Praise the Lord. Let's come to the Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we worship you, we praise you, we thank you, we give you praise and glory and honor because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And you're the one that wrote this book for us. And you gave this book to us, the owner's manual, and you told us to meditate on this book day and night, study it, beat it down, study it, take it, chew it up. I mean, and digest it and meditate on it day and night. And then you said, after we've done that, then our ways will be prosperous, and then we will be successful, and then we will have long life, and then we will have healthy bodies. So, Lord, I don't know how the devil's blinded the minds of us so bad so that we do everything but teach our children the Word of God. Everything except the right thing. So, Lord, I ask you to reveal to us the truth and the necessity of teaching not only our children but ourselves the Word of God. Now, Lord, I thank you and praise you for raising us up in these last days, teaching us the Word of God and letting us be used of you for your glory. And, Lord, I want, I'm so grateful that you are so close to coming again. And, Lord, we're going to occupy till you come. And, Lord, if you come this October, I mean, I'll be, I'll be surprised. Not really, I won't be surprised, but I'll be happy. But if you don't come this October on Feast of Trumpets, maybe it'll be next year. If it's not next year, then the next one. But, Lord, I'm living and having so much fun, I don't really care when you come. As far as I'm concerned, you're with me all the time anyway, and it can't get no better than walking and loving you. So, Lord, I praise you and thank you for the privilege to occupy till you come and then to serve you throughout the cosmos forever and eternity. And, Lord, I thank you for this great and awesome privilege to be called to be one of your sons, to be able to walk with you and love you, and, Lord, see you do the great and mighty things you do and for the privilege to teach your word to others. Lord, what a blessing, and I praise you and thank you. Now, bless what we do tonight, and open our hearts and our understanding to the mighty truths of the word of God. And use us all this week as we go forth to bring people into the kingdom and get people set free and healed and delivered. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, praise the King. One more time, tonight we're going to talk about some things. I'm going to go a lot of places in the Scripture tonight. I sat down there a while ago and I made an outline. And, of course, where my computer is, we have really, really, uh, I guess, made a lot of changes. I mean, you know, used to I had one computer and one printer and, and everything. And now then, since uh, uh, the Cronins were involved in my computer system, little Jordan, he's one of the sharpest little 14-year-old critters I've ever seen on computers. He can do things with computers that's out of my league completely. But between him and now Dave Rosenfeld, you know that he's a computer programmer. That's what he does for a living. I, I, have a, I have the capability of doing just about anything I want to do anywhere in that building. And so today I was going to print out something. I'm trying to figure out which one of these printers. And I didn't know all the names. And so I printed something 
since I don't have a printer in my office, I don't have to have a printer everywhere at every computer. So I pulled up a given printer on the network, and I printed out an item, and I went up to the front office to see if it printed. And she said, no, nothing came through. And all of a sudden, little Joel come from the media computer back in the back where he was printing labels, and on one of the label sheets, it printed out my stuff. And I said, whoa, wrong printer. So now I know that's the wrong one. So, you know, it's confusion. You know, if you don't know what these guys do setting up all this stuff. So I'm having to learn, too. But I did learn which one was the one in the media room, and I learned which one was the one in the front office today. <laughs> so anyway, when I did get my outline done, I printed it out, and it started printing out. And Taylor, she saw it printing out. She said, oh, I come running up there, and it was printing out. Only the first page, she said, is this what you're going to preach on tonight? I said, this is it. She said, oh, I want to get it. I said, nope, 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 you can't get it till after tonight. Nobody gets it till after. <laughs> so anyway, we have lots of fun out there at the ministry center. Praise the Lord. But anyway, we're going to talk about some of the scriptures we're going to talk about in the first part of tonight, and we may not get beyond this. Uh, to start off with, I'm going to talk a little bit about the tongue and then about unforgiveness. I pulled up several different queries that have done some searches on my computer, and I printed out a few scriptures. Now, I've done serious teachings on both all these subjects, the tongue, unforgiveness, and everything. But I've come to realize that you can't exhaust any subject in God's Word. Every time you study it, you learn more about it, and you learn the importance of doing what the Word says. You know, uh, the Word... I mean, this book that we call the Bible, the owner's manual, is really the only book that we should start out the first five years in school teaching our children. And it ought to be a requirement that they memorize the entire 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs by the time they're 10 years old. That ought to be a required item for every human being on the earth to memorize the first 31 chapters, or all of the 31 chapters of Proverbs, by the time we're 10. You know what, you know what kind of difference that would make in your life? Every answer to life is in those 31 chapters. Every answer you can ever have is in that book. God was really pretty smart, wasn't he? When he put this book together, he put a condensed version of it together in the book of Proverbs to tell you what to do, what would bring health, what would bring sickness, disease, everything's right there. All about what you should do, what you shouldn't say, the kind of spouse to look for, the kind not to look for. He told you everything. And it's all right there in the book of Proverbs. But how many people read it and study it? Nearly none. I was asked a question tonight. Uh, this man said, I was listening to your tapes, and you said you thought every child in a good Christian home should be a born-again believer by the time they're eight, seven, or eight, or ten years old. And he said, then I heard you say on the tape, you wasn't a Christian until you was eleven. So he said, what was the problem? I said, well, my daddy didn't do what God says to do in the Word. My daddy was a good Christian man that loved God. But we, didn't, we never, I never, ever, ever in my life, never saw my daddy get the Bible down and say, come on, kids, it's time for us to read the Word of God. And then I'm going to pray over y'all. Let me ask you all this question. How many of you in this room were raised up with a daddy that got the Word of God down every night, read it to you, and then prayed over you and mother? How many of you lived in a home like that? Woo! Nobody! So y'all want to know why we're not born again at an early age? 
Not one single one of us, and we're Christians, not one single one of us was raised in a home where our children were taught the Word of God and prayed over every night as they were growing up. See, that happened to me. Now, I was a normal Southern Baptist, going to church, loved God, studied the Word, deacon, Sunday school teacher, and everything, but I followed right in the footprints of my daddy. I felt like I was a good daddy because I loved my wife, I loved my children, I was good to them, I worked hard to meet all of our needs to provide for us, but I was neglecting the most important thing, teaching my children about the Creator. But when my daughter was one month old and my son was two years old, I'm sitting there reading the Word of God one night, and the Lord spoke to me in this authoritative voice. And this is the first time I had ever heard this voice, and I had never, ever heard anybody say they'd ever heard the authoritative voice of God. So you talk about a shock. It was a shock. And I've been in church every Sunday. Nobody ever said, the Lord spoke to me this week and told me to do this. I'd never heard that. Never. Under no conditions had I ever heard that. But let me tell you, sitting there, you hear this authoritative voice. Son, pay attention. I mean, you're sitting there reading the Bible. You come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you hear this authoritative voice say, Son, pay attention. I have a message for you in the next few verses. Woo! Turn around and see who's there. There ain't nobody there. But you heard that clear. So then you think he said, Son, pay attention. So guess who that had to be? That daddy. He's talking. And I have a word for you in the next few verses. Well, when I read those next few verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, let me tell you, God was telling you and me today, through his man Moses, he was telling you and me what we need to do if we want our children to walk with God. So since he told us over and over in the Word, not just there, it's many places in the Word, why in the world don't we do it? Good question, isn't it? I guess we're just a little dense. But since not one single person held their hand of it, including me, and I was raised up in a great Christian home, and it didn't happen in my home, and I know some of you were not raised up in great Christian homes. Some of you were raised up in hell on earth. And that's what's sad, isn't it, Shelley? But some of you had that. And that's terrible. And far more people have that, you know, than they want. And so it's terrible. But if you really want your children, and your children will be. Now, you've got to think that when my son was two, I started reading the Word of God to him and my daughter every night. Now, when my son was four and a half years old, that's pretty little, isn't it? That's before the days of seat belts. You know, he, I was driving my old 76 Ford pickup, which was nearly brand new back in those days. And we are coming home from church one Wednesday night, and he's standing in the seat right beside me with his arm over my neck. He said, Daddy, I turned to look at him. He's sitting there, his arm over my neck. He said, Daddy, I feel like, I remember on Main Street, I turned on the corner from Lakeland Baptist Church. I turned on Main Street, turned left. I was at McDonald's sitting there, which is not there no more. And I was fixing to pull out on 35. And he said, Daddy, I feel like if I died tonight, I'd go to hell to be with the devil. I said, Son, I'm not sure you're old enough to understand what you or saying. He said, Daddy, I don't, want, I don't want to go to hell to be with the devil. I said, I don't want you to go to hell to be with the devil either. He said, I, I need to get saved and baptized. Four and a half. So I said, well, when we get home, son, we'll go in the bedroom, we'll take the Word of God, and we'll get down. 
And we got home, and an hour or an hour and a half later, just me and him in that room talking about the Word of God, I was blowed away with a four-year-old's knowledge of the Word of God. And he got saved. And then, I don't know, he couldn't have been over five or six or maybe seven. I think he was maybe six. We're sitting there one Saturday, or one Friday night, rather. And that's back in the days when I used to still watch a little news and stuff. You know, this had been 25 years ago. I used to still watch a little bit of television. Not much, but a little. One night we were sitting there, and the news came on and said, in the morning, Saturday, there's going to be a large group of scientists at the Anatole Hotel. They're going to have a big meeting tomorrow discussing the origins of the universe. My son says, Daddy, what does that mean that they're going to have a discussion about the origins of the universe? I said, son, they're trying to figure out where it come from. He said, Daddy, you mean those educated men don't know where the universe came from? I said, no, son, they're still trying to figure it out. He said, Daddy, won't you take me down in the morning? Now I'll tell them that God made it. Well, man, I don't know. Isn't that amazing? Five or six, he knew where it come from. Now, how did he know so much? Because I've been reading him the Word of God. Every two or two and a half years, we read through the Word of God until he was ten years old. Every night we read. Every night we were on our knees in the bedroom praying, all of us as a family, reading the Word of God. Now that's what God told us to do, isn't it? So why don't we do that? Good question, isn't it? I wouldn't have done it either, but when God spoke to me and told me to do it, let me tell you. When the king says, son, that's what I want you to do because I want you to raise up two godly children, I said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Well, let me tell you, he don't have to speak to you in that, that authoritative, audible voice for you to do it. All you got to do is read what's written in that book, and that's him talking to you. So, it's amazing how we don't believe it when we read it. Now then, is it important you hide this word in your heart? It's the most important thing you'll ever do. I mean, you can forget the doctor's manuals and the engineering manuals and, and the, every kind of book in the world for to everything you want to do. You can forget getting your high school education. You can forget getting your master's degree or BS or your PhD or anything else. The Lord says, meditate on my word day and night. Hide it in your heart. And then, he says, your ways will be prosperous. And then you will be successful. And it will bring a long, healthy life to your flesh. And what do we do? Everything but study the word of God. Everything. I was telling one of the young ladies today, I said, you was out there talking about these things. And I said, you know, I can remember the time when I walked into the cockpit of a DC-8 the first time, and I had never seen a DC-8. And I walk in, I look at all these gauges and circuit breakers and things, and we walk around that airplane panels and wheels and gear and all kinds of stuff that I didn't know nothing about. And the guy said, you're going to teach this airplane. Boy, I have I got my hands full. Well, let me tell you, I hit the books, and I mean I hit the books. I prayed some, too, but I hit the books, and I studied month after month until I come to the point that that DC-862 that I was teaching, I knew you couldn't walk up nowhere to no panel to no hole to no wheel where you could point at anything on that airplane and say, tell me about that. I could tell you what it was, where it went to, and what instrument, or what, in, what on the, in the cockpit, what it went to. 
ever interconnect on the flight director systems. I knew what would happen if anything failed. I knew every breaker to pull, ever interconnect. I learned that airplane inside out, upside down, and backwards. But it didn't happen without study. And you know that, don't you? He flies one of them monsters, not one of them old monsters. He flies the new sophisticated stuff now. But I guarantee he didn't learn how to do that in 30 minutes, did you, Keith? No, he didn't. You learn how to fly with them big beasts studying, researching, learning, going to school, and then continually studying. He, I guess it hadn't changed. You still have to go through a recurrent training about, what, every six months? Every year. Every year. Once a year. Okay. Go through a recurrent training once a year. And then you're flying the same airplane. They want to run you back through the class to see if you forgot anything. Make sure you're safe. And, of course, thank goodness, because I want that guy sitting up front. If I'm flying back there on Delta, I want to make sure the guy sitting up front knows what he's doing, don't you? And that's, that's the way we are. We study an area that we go to work in our professions. We study it where we can do a good job. But that's not important. The Word of God is the only thing that's important. How many men or women have you known that have worked diligently to get their degrees 5, 10, 15 years of school, and by the time they're 30 or 35 years old, they've got more education than they know what to do with, and now then they go into some kind of business and they're very prosperous, very successful, and 5 or 10 years later, they're dead. You know people like that? I do. I do too. And some of those people die without ever knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's devastating to me to think about dying without Christ. Now, if I believe this book, I know where they're going to go, don't you? And that's serious business, isn't it? So it should be our goal to know the Word of God, to be able to share it with people so we can get people saved. To start off with, I'm going to go to Psalms chapter 12, verse 3. Psalms 3, or Psalms 12, 3. I want you to think about these little terms. These are the little things that just jump off the page at me when I'm studying the Word of God. You, you don't think God would do what He said He would do. But He says in Psalms 12, 3, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaks proud things. What do He do to your lips and your mouth if you do those things? What do He say He do? Cut them off. God will cut them off. Well, should that make you a little bit more concerned that you ought to be concerned about what you say? Because if you, if you start flattering, oh, you walk in and say, oh, my goodness gracious, how beautiful you look today. And he don't look beautiful at all. He ain't done nothing special. He ain't dressed up in a three-piece suit. He's just a normal guy. So I'm flattering him. Oh, what a beautiful hair do you have. This really looks so nice today. You're just flattering him. You're trying to make it. Somebody says, what do you want? You ever heard people do that? You know, you know they're flattering you. You know you ain't done nothing special. You know they're flattering you. Well, see, that's dangerous, isn't it? The Lord said in His Word, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Have to be careful, don't you? Very careful what you say. Then in Psalms 15, 1, 
Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle? I think that's a very good question. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to abide in his tabernacle. Don't you think it would be a fun place to live? Yeah. Woo! I think it would be a very fun place to live. So he must have some requirements to get there, right? Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Verse 2. He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth, in his heart. There's requirements, isn't there? You can't just be a person that does anything you want to do and walk where God wants you to walk. There is requirements to walk in these places. And they're not easy. They are not easy. But he says you must walk uprightly. Uprightly. And you must work righteousness. Work righteously. And speak the truth. I think he means all the time, don't you, Sybil? Yeah, I believe he does. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. Uh-oh. If you backbite with your tongue, what's the fault? means you can't dwell in his tabernacle, can you? You know, we, we read these things, but you know, we don't believe this stuff. We don't. Or either that or we forget it. We walk out the door. We, we talk about these kind of things. You walk out the door and somebody says, You know, did you know that old Thurman, he didn't you had this or that wrong with him? You know, I mean, just, or somebody else says something. Do you, do, you hear, do you see her? Or do you see him? Or do you see John or Jack or Joe or Mary or, or Thurman? You know, he had, he had, I mean, that's, wasn't that awful what he had on tonight? He looked terrible tonight. Isn't that amazing what we say and what we do? We go out talking, backbiting. Well, if you backbite with your tongue, you've got a problem. He says, he that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. You can't do evil to your neighbor. Not no kind of evil. But you don't know what they've done to me. They were bad to me. They throw their trash over the fence in mine. I'm going to get even with them. Their dog barks all the time. You know, I'm going to get that dog. He always keeps me awake. Well, you need to be careful. Nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. You've got to love people. Psalm 34, 12. Psalms 34, 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Now, have you, you remember anywhere in the New Testament where you read that? Anybody remember? Now, this is in the, under the law, under the old law. But there's a statement almost exactly like this in 1 Peter 3, verse 10. He that will, do, he that will see good days and have a long life must refrain his tongue from speaking evil about others. So it wasn't just under the law these requirements were there. They're under the law as well as under the new covenant. What man is he that desires life? Well, I don't know about you, but do you desire life? you want to have a long, good life? I do. I mean, I think everybody technically wants that, don't you? But are we willing to pay the price? Obviously, we're not. Now, then... 
Think about this. Think about some of these things. Let's just go ahead and read verse 13. He says, What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good? Well, you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. You must depart from evil and do good. You must seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. Now, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their iniquity. Don't you like that? That, right there, if you walk in obedience to his word, you can call and ask him for anything, and he'll do it. Or you can grumble and plain and have the neck ache, right? <laughs> I get tickled. This precious little lady. I'd never forget the night. She was able to give us a testimony after the church. You'd have, the, you'd have that uh, neck ache for what? A couple of weeks? A couple of weeks. Uh, it was what, honey? It really hurt. I mean, yeah. You said that all of a sudden this thing began to come up on you, right? And it was just a crick in the neck. And she said she wasn't realizing that for the past week all she had done about all the little things that had come to her is grumble. I mean, now, we all have that problem, folks. It's real easy for things to not go exactly right and start grumbling and complaining. Oh, my gosh, I mean, the gas has gone up too much today. Look at that gas going up another dime. I, oh, my goodness gracious, every time I get in, I don't know the traffic. Awful traffic today. What is going on with the traffic today? Grumbling and complaining about everything. I know none of y'all ever do this now but me and her. <laughs> I know. We all do these stupid things. Well, whatever it was, she was really grumbling and complaining. And after about a week or so of that, she said, or two, whatever it was, she started getting this crick in her neck. And then she started grumbling and complaining about that. And it got worse and worse. And so for about two weeks now, and then she came to a Bible study one night, and I talked about we're not supposed to grumble and complain. We're to do all things without grumbling and complaining. I said, because it will open the door for a demonic spirit to get you. And you won't like the results. And she said, oh my goodness, Lord, all I've done. And she said, Becca, just like she is right now. She just said, quietly in her spirit, Lord, forgive me for grumbling. Something like that. Lord, I won't do it no more. Something like that. And instantly the Lord healed you, didn't he? Yeah, it went away right there. And we didn't even know it. So after the class was over, she said, Mr. Shrivener, I've got to give a testimony that I'm going to bust. I'll never forget that. And I said, okay, what's your testimony? She told us. See, that confirms again when God says, I hate grumbling and complaining. That's what he meant. So when we grumble and complain, it opens the door to the demonic world and the beast comes in and puts a pain on you. Open the door to the tormentors. And the beast tormented you, didn't he? He was tormenting you for a couple of weeks until you repented. When you repented and got right with God in his gracious and mercy, he instantly delivered you and set you free. But I, I'll say, just like you said, you, you ain't grumbling and complaining very much lately either, have you? No. No. <laughs> no. I don't really want to hear or not. <laughs> but you know, did you know that testimony? Well, but when you learn these things and you tell others, you prevent them. If they'll just listen. And, and some of them listen, don't they? And some did. And some, 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 oh, this crazy woman. See, now, the next week they got the problem, but they don't understand. 
So I got this pain in my neck too. They don't understand that she just gave them the answer. They, she had it. They had it because they grumbled and complained. Now that everybody grumbles and complains once more. We all get into that mode. I don't care who you are. Everybody gets into that mode. But when you get into that mode, if you've done it for 30 minutes or an hour or two hours, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit grabs you by the collar. I mean, sometimes you have to reach out here like this, brother, to me. You know what I mean? Slap me three times and say, son, hush. I know none of y'all ever been there but me. I get, then all of a sudden I said, okay, Lord, I got it. I repent. He said, okay. It's a good thing you did because it was just five minutes before the demons going to get you. Oh, we glad we confessed it the right time. We don't want to go too far. Well, the best thing to do is learn how to keep our mouth shut. I have a real problem with that. But I'm working on it. I'm trying. And I know y'all are too. But we're humans. We're human beings. Now that he says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and, and saveth such as be of a contrite or broken spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now, how many of you know that's true? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? He delivers us out of them all, provided we learn how to fight the fight of faith. Now, I'm going to tell a story of my brother up here. I hope you don't mind. He told me, well, I'd be okay if I tell that story. He said, he's Baptist too, just like me, you know. He's learning. You know, he's been steeped in Baptist ways, you know. I mean, but many of us have, you know. So, in Baptist, praise God, they do at least get a lot of people saved. And we're grateful. We're grateful for the Baptist. Thank God for the Baptist. But thank God for his children. That's the whole thing. But he said, he's been learning these things too now. He's listening and he's learning and he's hearing God. And the other day, I think you'd had, what, kidney stones or something a couple of times? What wasn't you said? And you had to go to the doctor a couple of times? Three times. Well, after he's learning these things the other day, the devil hit him again with one of them stones. And he said, this time, Lord, I ain't calling 911. I'm not going. I'm going to trust you. And he said, that devil put that pain on him. And he said, I had that pill in my hand. I was squeezing that thing. That devil said, go ahead and take it. Go ahead, you dummy. Just take it. You know how much easier it'll be for you to just take it. But he said, no, I'm going to trust God. And he said it didn't take but about what, 20 or 30 minutes? 20 minutes. And his pain was all gone. And he didn't have to take Yeah. Isn't that amazing, see? But see, God, he said, I'll not put you to the test beyond what you can bear. But sometimes we think we can't bear it, right? But we can. Well, I told you he knew I was good for 20 minutes. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> the Lord says I know my son he was good for 20 minutes. I'll let that devil tell you for just a few minutes. <laughs> he said, he's going to see it work this time. He said, now next time it'll be a little bit more severe test to bring you to another level. See? Another hour later came back. Oh, 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 it did. Another hour later. And you had to stand again. And you beat it again. That's right. Praise the king, praise the king, praise the king. Now then... Some people have to really go through some of these trials and tests serious. I mean, you know, yours was a kind of a medium test compared to what I've seen some people have to go through. And then you think about what our king went through for you and me. I mean, we ain't suffered nothing. I mean, I can't even comprehend the pain that the king went through. Sybil, 
I can only imagine on my back, naked back or your naked back, a great big old Roman guard with just one cat of nine tails just hit you one time with them nine stripes. What your back would look like when he got when he got through jerking that off of your back, can't you? Much less he's trying to kill you and beat you till you're dead. I can't even fathom what Jesus' body must have looked like. And he did that for you and me so we could be healed. I, so I'm going to receive what he did. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to receive Jesus as my healer. I'm going to trust him. He paid the price for me. And I ain't never suffered nothing like he did. But I'm going to trust him for my healing as long as he allows me to live in this piece of flesh. I'm going to trust the king instead of anything. And you're learning that too, aren't you? He's building your faith. Praise the king. But the Lord told us here, many are the afflictions of the righteous, because that devil will put us to the test. Oh, he'll put us to the test. But the Lord promises in his word to deliver us out of all of these things. All of them. Now, he didn't say it would be easy, but he said he will deliver you. Then he says, he keepeth all his bones, and not one of them is broken. Who's he talking about? The righteous. The righteous. Now, if you are a righteous person and you're holy, walking in obedience to God's Word, and you know these things, you need to claim these promises. So you need to repeat those. You need to, as you go through the day, say, Lord, thank you that I don't never, I'm going to walk holy in obedience to your Word. I don't never have to have a broken bone. I don't never have to have a crooked bone. I don't have to have nothing wrong with me because you paid the price for me. I know people who get 50 years old and a little pain comes in their finger. And they said, oh my goodness, my daddy had arthritis. I just know I'm going to have arthritis. And every time you see him, well, what happened? Well, I had a pain last week in my hand. Was it there today? No, it's not there today, but I know it's going to come back. I know I'm going to have arthritis. My daddy died of arthritis. I know I'll probably wind up with my fingers all twisted like his. And they say that, and they say that, and they say that, and they say that. You see where I'm coming from? And then one day, he said, well, how you doing? Well, just like I said, look at my hand. Ten years later. Oh, my goodness. Are we dumb or are we dumb? We're dumb. I think it's time we got to where we're not dumb no more, though, don't you? Praise the King. Yeah. Stop believing the Lord. Evil shall slay the wicked. Evil shall slay the wicked. In other words, the devil's going to kill people that don't serve God. These, these critters are the enforcing agency out there, the police force, if you want to call that, of the spirit world. Now, the beautiful part about the police force in the physical world, we've got some Christian police officers. Some of these guys have compassion and love. But the devils of hell, there's no such thing as love. When these beasts get legal right to you, they will kill you. Just like that Baptist preacher, I went down to a little town about a three-hour drive from here to speak one night. <clears throat> I was talking about these things, and after church, he said, Now, Thurman, my little son here, he's only five years old. And he's got all these little problems with his body. That couldn't be a demon. I mean, not, not even a demon could attack a child. I said, you don't know the devil very well. I said, he loves attacking children. I said, he loves it. And I said, in fact, right now today, that devil's doing everything he can to get every child. I mean, he's, with these wicked computer games and everything else, he's doing everything he can to deceive every little child time they get up to six or eight years old, he wants them to be involved in something that's killing, stealing, and destroying. And I said, he's sure getting a lot of them. I said, you underestimate the power of the devil. Let me tell you, the devil is out there. He is real. 
But evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. <clears throat> Psalms 39.1 I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I said, I will take heed to my ways. Well, let me tell you, if you're like me, probably three or four or five layers of good two-inch duct tape would at least help. You know, that would probably help. If it was bound around there hard enough, tight enough, it might help. You almost have to have that to think before you open your mouth. Because it's so easy to say the wrong things. But we're working on it, aren't we? We're working on trying to get there. I said I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I'm not going to sin with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. Uh-oh, can you see us running around here with a bridle and a set of bits in our mouth? Our wives said, we need one on you once in a while. You know what they probably think? If we had a bridle and a bit in our mouth and had the bits hanging down, Shelly, once in a while, you'd run your jerky right quick. Say, he said, whoa, okay, I did something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving Keith a hard time tonight. But you know, we're, we're, we're in all with Keith. We do things wrong once in a while. Maybe I should speak for myself. I shouldn't condemn him. But <laughs> I think he's a man just like me. I think he loves God with all his heart, but I still think he makes mistakes. I know one thing that Keith said the other day, and he was so true. As he's learning this, of course, he, does, he flies for Delta. And we're talking about so much in here about... You have to heed your tongue in what you say. He says, I mean, when I sat down in the cockpit of that airplane, and one of the other guys comes in and starts making a statement about these stupid managers, wonder what they're doing for us now. He said, I used to side right in with them, but he said, I don't talk about them no more. I realize the consequences. Uh, and he said, it's hard, isn't it, Keith? It's really hard. But you have to realize that if you want those people that do good, instead of running them down and condemning them, you need to speak a blessing over them. Right. You even talk, you know, don't condemn, say, stop, let's pray for them. Amen. Amen. That's the, that, he, he's got it. When he walked in the conference, he said, hey, guys, uh, however many crew members or whatever is in there, I think most of y'all's airplanes just have two today, but if, if you know, it would, probably wouldn't hurt anything. If when you were in the crew room, when you had 10 or 15, if you could find some guys that were all Christians, say, guys, let's get over here together today and let's pray for the management of this company so we'll be able to manage and run this company so we will become a profitable organization again. Let's speak a blessing over those guys. I can only imagine what some of them people would say. Keith, give me a break. You're crazy. There ain't no hope for them guys. They could never run nothing. But see, that's why they're in the shape they're in. But if we start speaking those blessings like that over those guys, we're going to see the king do great and mighty things. He's going to answer your prayers of faith. He sure is. But see, we should do that all the time. We need to bridle our tongue. A little hard, isn't it? It's a little hard. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Uh-oh, that makes it even harder. It's real easy to keep a bridle when everybody's saying something that you like. It's real easy to bridle your tongue. Somebody walks up and says, Whoa, you sure do look beautiful today. I sure do like your hair today. You think, Whoa, I like that. It's easy to say something nice. But somebody walks up to you and says, Hmm, 
kind of like your hair today. Them, them, them earrings you got, could you have bought something better than that? You sure do look cheap today. What are you talking about? Is it, you see what I'm coming from? It's easy to hold your tongue one way, but the other way it's tough, isn't it? But the Lord says do it all the time. Regardless of what anybody says about you. Hold your tongue. And when you find out there's consequences, it makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? You say, hey, that's the way it is. Okay, I'm doing the best I can. I don't care what you say about me. Who cares, right? We're going to keep our tongue. Then he says here, and, uh, let's see, what chapter, what I've forgotten in the world. Psalms uh, 52. Psalm 52, verse 1. Psalm 52, 1. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devised mischief like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Think about your tongue being a sharp razor. You love evil more than good. I know people like that. You love evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Have you ever known somebody that would tell you a lie when the truth would have fit better? I've known those kind of people. Sure. All of us have. It's amazing. And what God has to say about those kind of people. You love all devouring words. Oh, you deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. Now, if people knew those things, it'd make it a little easier to control what you say. If you knew there was a consequence, and that's why I'm saying that people need to know the Word of God, they need to read it, they need to study it, because people that don't know these things, surely God wouldn't hold you accountable for something you didn't know, would He? You reckon He would? Now, surely an all-loving and knowing and wonderful God wouldn't hold me accountable for something I hadn't studied. Would he? You think he will? Can you prove that to me from the Word somewhere? You're accountable for what you have before you, whether you read it or not. I'll tell you, yeah, and that's what he just said is written. Why don't somebody turn to Leviticus chapter 5, verse 17, and tell me what the Lord says there. Leviticus 5.17. Somebody read that to me out loud. I want to see what God said in Leviticus 5.17. Just read it. In fact, when you get it, let me get a microphone and we'll put it on tape so everybody can hear it. When somebody gets to it, who's got it? Who's got Leviticus 5.17? Okay, here's a lady close. I can get to her real easy. If a person sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands... Even though he does not know it, he is guilty and would be held responsible. That sounds like serious stuff, don't it? Ooh! You know, that kind of reminds me of driving down the road out here, and they changed the speed limit today. I mean, you know, like out here where we, we go out to the minister center, they got a little section of 114 that just recently, you know, they going to build a little about a mile or maybe a half a mile or maybe a mile and a half, whatever. It's not a very long piece. They had a piece there that they didn't have the road finished. Well, they moved in there with a bunch of equipment the other day, and all of a sudden, instead of being 65 miles an hour, it's 40. 
and then way up on top of the hill, they put another one that says 55. So you come zipping along, you've been used to watching the signs, 65, man, you're just listening to the radio, talking to your spouse, you ain't paying attention, and all of a sudden, you look over there, and there's a new sign, it ain't been there since yesterday. But today it's that, it says 55. And then you get up there a little further, and there's another one up, and it says 40. And you get on the brake, you know, and go from 65 to 55, and then you, whoa, 40. And you slow down, and the guy beside you is honking, and get out of the way, and you get over the top of the hill, and he's sitting there, and there's a police behind him with all the little red and green lights blinking. And the signs say, double fine in construction areas. He said, but sir, I, I, I've been going through here every day, and the speed limit's 65. He said, yeah, yesterday was 65. But today, it's 55 and 20, or 40. So guess what they're going to do with that guy? Really, he ain't going to like a ticket, is he? You know, and double in construction. But you know, I see people doing that all the time. I mean, they, and I see them get stopped. Sometimes there's police on both sides of the road out there. Got them stopped going both ways. Now then, are they accountable even though they didn't know it? When they go before a judge, they said, but judge, I didn't see those signs. I did. That's no excuse, is it? The judge says, well, I'm sorry that you didn't have your eyes turned on today. But after this $400 ticket, I bet you watch when you come through there next week. <laughs> that'll, get, that'll, that'll hit any guy right where it hurts, right? Us guys, we work hard for that money. Of course, I know you girls do too. But when they take it away from you for nothing... That's just like driving down the road throwing 400 bucks out the window, isn't it? You get nothing for it. But that's what they do to you. So it makes you pay attention when you drive down the road. Well, the Word of God is exactly the same thing. Just think, God's holding you and me accountable, according to Leviticus 5.17, for this entire book. And some of us never read it, never study it, and we wonder why we have all these problems. You wonder why you're sick and afflicted. You wonder why your life's falling apart. You wonder why your finances cannot be met. When God says in his word, you must go to church on a regular basis. Hebrews 10.25 Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis as a man or some are, and even the more so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Well, let me tell you, the day of the Lord's approaching. We can see that. So did he say go to church? Yes, he did. Learn all you can about him. Get to know him well. How do you get to know Jesus? Jesus and the Word are one and the same. You want to know who Jesus is? You want to know how he works? You want to know what he's like? You cannot know Jesus outside of that Word. If you don't hide that Word in your heart, you cannot know the King. You don't know what he likes. You don't know what he dislikes. You have to be intimate with him. When you crawl in that book with him and become intimate with him, he reveals himself to you and you know what he likes and you know what he don't like. And so what he said he don't like, you try to stay just as far away from it as you can. And what he likes, just like he says, I I want us to think about this. The king says, come into my sanctuary with your hands raised, worshiping and praising me. And how many people do that? If we were to do that, people think we're nuts, especially in a Baptist church. <laughs> Since me and you were Baptist so many years. I mean, you walk into the sanctuary. I remember one time, I, I met a lady downtown there in Justin, and I was at the post office, and she said, oh, Mr. Scribner. I said, hi, young lady, how are you? And she said, Mr. Scribner. I said, 
you know me? Oh, yeah. She said, I know you. I said, man, where did I meet you? I don't ever remember seeing you. She said, well, I've never formally been in, introduced to you. But she said, we go to Justin First Baptist Church. I said, oh, so that's where you've seen me? She said, oh, yeah. She said, my son. I've got a little son. I think he's about eight years old. And she said, the first time we went there, we looked over, and my son says, Mother, what's that man over there doing with his hands raised? And she said, well, son, I guess he's worshiping God. He said, well, Mama, if we're here and we're supposed to worship God, why don't the rest of the people have their hands up? If he's worshiping God and we're supposed to worship God, why don't we raise our hands? She said, well, son, I guess we just don't do it. He said, Mama, is he doing what the Lord says? And she said, yes, son, that's what the Lord says. He said, well, then, Mama, I'm going to hold my hands up, too. So me and this little guy, she said, my little son holds his hands up because of you. Now, see, we don't have any idea who's watching us, do we? But see, the king said, it's the king that said, come into my sanctuary with your hands raised, worshiping me and praising me and singing songs. Who cares if you feel like you're nuts? When you need a prayer answered, if he not, didn't make him happy, he don't answer it. And if you made him happy, he answers it. And I love to see the king answer prayer, don't you, brother? Woo! You love it when face it when it's your body that's hurting, right? <laughs> it makes it a whole lot easier to worship you baby when you got a kidney stone. I guarantee. When your body's hurting, you love to see God. I mean, after all, as long as you're healthy, you got money to make, your car is running good, you got a wonderful family, good wife, money, everything's going, no pain in your body. Who needs God, right? Woo, but when that devil hits you with a little pain, oh, the Lord said, oh. Oh, you need me now. You need me, son. Yeah, you are. Oh, he said, well, I don't know who you are. <laughs> That's not what I want to hear. You, David? I don't want to hear it. I want him to say, oh, that devil's taxing my son down there. Angel, go down and watch over him. He worshiped and praised me all the time. Go down and kick that devil off of him. Keep him set free. That's where I want to be, don't you, brother? Amen. Praise the Lord. Then he says, uh, <laughs> oh, In verse 5, he said, God shall likewise destroy thee forever, and he shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. I don't want to be one of those unbelievers, those wicked people. Do you? I want to be one of those righteous ones. Psalm 64, 3. Psalm 64, 3. Who wet their tongue like a sword. I can just see us now licking that tongue out there all over the place. If mine was long enough, I'd stick it out there and wet it. But I think that's what we do. Did you know the other day I did something with my tongue? I've not told anybody about this, but I told Cheryl last night, I think it was. And when I showed it to her, she said, how in the world did you do that? And I told her, I really don't know. I've never done this before in my life. You've heard the story that, you know, when you say something, people say, well, I need to bite my tongue. You've heard that story? Well, our fast day, or two, we have two fast days every week under normal conditions. Every once in a while we break it if something special comes along. But usually we fast on Thursday and Sunday. And we'll have two pieces of fruit on that day. That's what we've limited ourselves to. Because the Lord told me. That's what he told me. When I asked him what he wanted me to do, he said he wanted me to fast. He said, I want you and Cheryl to fast on Thursday and Sunday. 
I said, told a fast, Lord? He said, no, you can have two pieces of fruit. And he knows we like hot tea. Because he said, you can have two cups of hot tea. I said, isn't that amazing? So I said, told her, I said, honey, the Lord spoke. I was in there taking a shower. Talking to the Lord. And he said, I want you to start fasting on Thursday and Sunday. And when I said, what, can we have anything to eat? He said, two pieces of fruit and two cups of hot tea. So that's what we've been doing now ever since. But the other day, it was my fast, our fast day, and I left the ministry center heading to Dallas to pick up some stuff. Before I left, I sliced me an apple. And I put those slices in a little bowl, and I'm driving down the road, chomping down on this apple. Now, I realize I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. I am singing and worshiping and praising God and trying to eat an apple at the same time. You know what I did? I bit somehow right in the middle of the top of my tongue. I mean, I'm singing. Can you imagine the stupidity of a guy riding around in a car? I mean, there's nobody in there. So if there'd been anybody in there, I would have been singing. But I'm by myself, just me and God, and I think he likes my singing. I think he likes my worship and praise. Now, if y'all have been here, y'all probably said, stop, let me out. That's okay, but I'm just me and God. So I'm driving down the road singing, worshiping, and biting and chewing an apple at the same time. And somehow that piece of apple moved my tongue over to the side, and when I come down, all these things, I crunch, and the blood was running out of my mouth. I bit that bigger hard. And I mean, I got a great big whip, and when I showed Cheryl, she said, Honey, that's right in the middle. How did you do that? I said, I don't know. It wasn't easy. I'll say that. I really had to try to bite it right there in the middle. <laughs> but I did. So the moral of the story is, don't worship and praise and sing and try to eat apple at the same time. It don't work. It didn't for me. And I tell you, I'm still suffering the consequences of that. I prayed over that. I've done everything, and my tongue is still sore. I mean, I guess the Lord said, well, son, I love you singing, but, you know, don't try to sing and eat at the same time. It really don't work. Man, did I bite a chunk out of my tongue. I've bit my tongue on the side before, you know, eating something. Sure, everybody's probably done that. But I've never bit right in the top of the middle to the point where I took a chunk out of it and blood run out of my mouth. That's how hard I bit myself. Shelly, it hurt. You know it did. It still hurts. But I don't want to confess that, so that's why I had to tell it everybody I'm trying, you know. So, the, the Lord, wow. Anyway, it's amazing what you do. Now, Psalm 64.3 says, Who with their tongue, who wet their tongue like a sword. I guess I was wetting mine like a sword, and I cut it. And, and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. What are our bitter words? Like an arrow. We can pierce somebody's skin. We can pierce their body with a bitter word. I mean, how many times have we heard people say, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true, is it? They didn't read the Bible very close, did they, brother? The word, the Bible says that your words, the wrong kinds, like an arrow or a sword that will cut your head off. They'll do devastating things to you. So be careful with your words. Try to make the right kind of statements. He says, verse 5, They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privately. They say, Who shall see us? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search 
Both the inward thoughts of every one of them and the heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. Why do you think different things happen to different people at different times like this? How can God shoot that arrow and wound you? If you're doing the wrong things that he don't like, your life can be miserable. And those arrows can be shot at you, can't they? He tells you how to keep that from happening. Watch your tongue. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. Like I've said in many of my teachings on the tongue, this tongue is either your best friend or your worst enemy. It'll either put you over in life or it'll destroy you in life. Our tongue is either our best friend or our worst enemy. Think of the prayers that you have prayed as a righteous son or daughter of God and seen the Lord do awesome answers to prayer. How would you get that done? With your tongue. You spoke a word and it caused the king of the universe to come upon the scene to do great and awesome things. Or you spoke a word in anger or rage and who knows what you did to somebody else. But whatever you did to them, God said that's going to come back on you. Now if everybody saw it like that, you'd be a little bit more careful of what you said. If you realize your words were going to come back and like a sword or an arrow going to pierce your body, you'd be careful of what you say and how you say it, wouldn't you? It'd make you a little more concerned about how you treat people. How you, you... You just don't realize, we don't realize, none of us realize in the fullness of what we say how it impacts people. That's why God told us to love each other. That's why he told us to watch what we say. Well, I'm telling you, it's hard. Even for Christians, it's hard to control your tongue. Especially under different conditions, different times, when you're tired or you've had a hard day. You know, I mean, after I've been up 24 hours, I'm not quite as easy to get along with as I would if I just had a good night's sleep. Are you, Brother David? You know, it's amazing how you can just kind of get to your wits end after 24 or 36 hours. The least little thing can make you say something wrong. Whereas if you've just got up from a good rest and had a good breakfast and you've up, been up four hours and you're a ball of fire, you know, somebody might come up and say something and you might just say, oh, well, just slough that off, no problem. But they might say something only half that way at the end of the day and you just bite your head off. It's amazing what we can do. Psalms 120. Psalms 120, verse 1. In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Now, if you have one of those, who can you call upon to get free from it? The Lord. He will forgive you, and boy, are we glad. We're glad that we can call upon the Lord. In my distress, in other words, you're distressed or stressed out because of your lying tongue and your deceitful tongue because you've had it. You're under all this pressure and stress and all these bad things are coming upon you 
And all you've got to do is cry out to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you, and He will. He'll be merciful. What shall be given unto you, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? We need to get rid of those false tongues. Now let's go to the book of Proverbs. We're in a psalm for a while. Let's skip over to the book of Proverbs. Let's see some things. Proverbs chapter 6. This book of Proverbs is absolutely the most magnificent book. Every time I study this through to teach it, I learn so many new things. I guess this book is just bottomless. I guess you never can master not a single book of the Bible. It's just, it's just it seems like it's a bottomless pit. I, remember, I don't remember the guy's name, but I remember a man that the book of Psalms has how many books? 150. That's right, 150 books. That's a big, thick book, isn't it? But uh, the Lord told a man one time, said, I want you to go on the radio, and I want you to be on the radio five days a week, and all I want you to teach on is Psalms. Start out with chapter 1, verse 1, and I want you to teach through the Psalms. And when you get through, I want you to teach through again, as long as I keep you on the radio. He said, Lord, I mean, every day, five days a week? I mean, he said, Lord, when I get this book mastered, what am I going to do? And I heard him about 30 years later. And he said, this book, the more I studied, he said, every time I go through this, this book gets deeper. I see more wonderful things. And he said, wow. He said, if I have another 500 years, maybe. He's beginning to see the depth of this magnificent book. We will never master it. Never. It's too deep. But if we read it and study it once in a while, God will get through to us if we'll just read it slow. Now, don't read the Bible like a novel. Read it slow. Sit down and read it word by word and let him talk to you out of this because this is our king talking to us. If you want to hear his voice, all you got to do is sit down and read it out loud. He's talking to us. Proverbs six sixteen. This this is very this is why I went to this chapter and verse because I think this is very 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 important. Anytime you see something that says God hates it, I think we ought to know what it is because if God hates it, guess what we ought to do? That's exactly right, Shelley. We need to hate it too. If God hates it, then we better hate it. These six things does the Lord hate. Now, yes, there's seven of them. Seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. Number one, a proud look. He hates a proud look. Pride. He has a thing about this pride, doesn't he? I tell you all the story, again, about this wonderful man of God that I know. And, of course, I won't call his name because just for the tape purposes, this is a great man of God. He's got a great position in a government office. And he's a, a healthy, wonderful young man. got a beautiful wife and everything else. And he is really a wonderful man of God. And he has been involved with our ministry now the last year or two. And he's really growing in faith. And he's, he, he, said, I've, he, he said, I've learned so much from your teachings. He said, I've asked the Lord... I think about two years ago, he said, Lord, I, I, I'm serving you, I'm loving you. But said, Lord, I've learned, I think, everything my church can teach me. If there's more depth to this book than I know, 
would you please reveal yourself to me? He said, three days later, a woman sent me one of your tapes. And he said, I listened to that tape, and I called and got a bunch of your stuff. And he said, I went up to a cabin up in north of Oklahoma on the lake, and I just camped out there, went by myself, and I stayed three days and nights. And all I did was listen to those tapes and those, those uh, CDs and videos. And he said, at the end of those three days, I come out there and said, Lord, this man has walked where I want to walk. He said, I never saw these signs and miracles and wonders. So he said, I want to walk there. So he began to steep himself in these things and study this. And then he came to two or three or four of my healing schools, didn't introduce himself to me. And then finally, after he'd been about four, he found out I wasn't some crazy nut. And then he did call and say he was coming and bringing two carloads of staff people from his government office to a healing school. And when he came, he walked in and introduced me to himself and to his wife. And he said, I've got to tell you what I did for my wife. He said, my wife, after I learned these teachings, he said, my wife had had migraine headaches for years. So she came to me one day and said, honey, I've got these splitting headaches, been hurting for days. He said, just a minute. He said, I walked up to her, put my hands on her head, and rebuked that demon and commanded to come out in the name of Jesus. And she was instantly healed. He said, then a few days later, or we got to thinking about her high blood pressure she had had for years. Since I've seen her headaches go away when I rebuked that devil, he said, I walked up and grabbed her by the shoulders and shook her and commanded that devil to come out of her. And for her blood pressure to be perfect, he said, the next time we checked it, it was perfect. It had been perfect ever since. I told him, I said, sir, you've got to be careful in your government office where you're the director of. You have to be careful who you tell that story to. He said, Thurman, I have to be careful who I tell that story to in my church, much less in my government office. You know where I'm coming from, don't you? Yeah. But he said, it works. Well, let me tell you what he did. When God said, I hate a proud look, he called me the other day. He said, my wife and I took a few days off and went down into the uh, ocean and somewhere off down here. And he said, we went out where they uh, surf with those uh, big waves and stuff. And he took his surfboard or whatever with the little sails on them or whatever they are. And he said, when I got down there, now this, this man's a young man. You know, he's only like 40 years old. And he said, I got down and all these young men, macho men, nobody's wearing a life jacket. And I thought, you know, I don't want to look like a wimp. I want to be one of those macho guys. So he said, I'm not an excellent swimmer. But he said, I'm going to go out there with my surfboard. I, you know, I won't have any problem. Because I got this big old thing, and it's a good life jacket. But he gets out there, and he said, I'm coming swooping across there on a big wave, and all of a sudden another wave hits me somehow and knocks that board out from under me, and that board goes flying way beyond where I'm ever going to be able to swim to. And I'm way out there in that deep water. He said, I tread water as long as I can. I'm crying, God, please, Lord, send somebody by to save me. And he said, Thurman, I'm going down for the last time. I know if I go down one more time. He said, it's over. I'm going to drown. And he said, all of a sudden, a guy comes over a wave, and he sees me, and he stops and picks me up and takes me to the bank. He said, I'm totally exhausted, laying out there flat on my back, thinking, oh, God, thank you. Praise you, Lord, for saving me. He said, Thurman, the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice. He called my first name, and he said, you either get rid of that pride, or next time I'm going to let you drown. Woo! Do you think he hates a proud look and pride? I'm telling you, to the point that if you don't get rid of it, he'll let you drown. 
That's scary, isn't it? He said, Dermot, I got up there after I got rested. I thanked him. I put my life jacket back on, and I swam out there, and I had a good time. I didn't care what any of them guys said about me. He swallowed his pride, didn't he? But he wasn't, after hearing what he heard, there ain't no way he'd have went back out there a second time. Because if he had of, he'd have drowned. I know he would have drowned. But what the Lord say I hate? I hate pride. A proud look. And then look at the next one. A lying tongue. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. There's going to be a lot of abortion doctors in big trouble. You know it? Think of the people every day that tear little babies apart in mother's womb and kill them. They're by the thousands, aren't they, Rosemary? By the thousands. I mean, last time I heard it, it was four or five thousand a day just in America. That's awful to think about how many people we kill. God's holding those people accountable for that. If they die in that sin, if they die in that sin, they can't, they're going to go to hell. That's all there is to it. But hopefully they'll come to know Jesus and quit that stuff. Then he said, a heart that devises wicked imaginations. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. How easy is it to look at different things and imagine different things? How easy is it for a man today to look at a movie that's on or flip on his computer and some of these pornographic sites that come up on your computer for him to imagine wicked things looking at that. It's real easy. You know that? It's real easy. So you know what the thing about it is? You can't look at that kind of stuff. You can't go there. You got to keep that junk away from you. You can't meditate on that kind of stuff because the imaginations that will come upon you. You'll do wrong things. Yeah. That's why when a man when a man looks at a woman, you know where he should look at her? Right in her eyes. That should be the only place you look at a woman is in her eyes. And every woman should dress according so that's where you're going to look. So that's where you're going to look in her eyes. That's the way it should be. A heart that devises wicked imagination. Feet that are swift to running to mischief. To do mischief. A false witness that speaks lies about people. Sometimes we say, well, but I heard a fact about Pastor so-and-so. Well, keep it to yourself. Don't spread it around. Because you know what happens if somebody tells a story about you and then this one tells it again and that one tells it again and this one tells it the third time and that tells it the fourth time. What happens every time somebody tells that story? It gets changed. It gets changed. It ain't never the same after four or five times, is it? No. Mm -mm. Never the same. So that's why we need to learn to keep our mouth shut. And he that soweth discord among the brethren... The Lord hates discord among the brethren. You have to be careful what you say. You have to walk in love. And if somebody says something about you, don't receive it as an offense. You know, 
If somebody's got something they don't like about you, you know what they should do? They should come and talk to you. Not somebody else. If you don't like something I do, don't tell Susie and Bob and Jack and Jane and all them. And then after it's been around six times, finally it gets to Cheryl and she comes and tells me. No, if you've got something to say about me, come tell me. You know, don't tell the story to three or four or five people and then it gets to my wife and then she comes and tells me what you said. If you've got a problem with me, just come sit down and talk to me. Hey, I'm just a human being like you are. And I probably do things people don't like. So just come and sit down and say, I don't like it. I say, okay. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, men and women, men, husband and wife, we ought to do that to each other once in a while, right? You know what you could do? I guess this is your wife. You said it was your wife, right? Okay, it's your wife. You know, once in a while, you ought to ask her. You ought to look her right now and say, honey, is there anything I could do to make your life easier? And then be ready for whatever she says. I've told you all this before, but one day I asked Cheryl that. You know, we're fairly newlyweds. We've only been married a year because that's a few months ago. I said, anything I could do that make your life easier? She said, absolutely. I said, what? She said, you could stop turning your T-shirts wrong side out when you take them off. I said, what do you mean? She said, I have to wash them and then turn them right side out. I thought, well, gee, I mean, I'll just reach down and grab them and skin them off. And when you do, they're wrong side out. So she said, you should take it off and not turn it. I said, okay. So I'll reach over the collar, drag it off like this, and throw it in the washer, and then the right side out. And guess what? You taught an old dog a new trick. I learned how to do that. And he said, it made my honey bunny's life easier. So what should I want to do, Sybil? Make her life easier. If it made her life easier, then, hey, guys, once in a while, ask your mate, what can I do? Or girls, ask your husband. Is there anything I do that you don't like? And then be ready. <laughs> then be ready. Because they may have something. And they might say, I can't believe that little bitty tiny thing bothers you. Now, don't go there. That's not what they want to hear. You ask a question. you know. And if they say that, just say, I'll do the best I can to change. You know, I did the best I could. Cheryl said she didn't like my shirt, turned wrong side out, so I take them off right side. If I do flip one wrong side out, I turn it right side out myself before I put it in the washer. If it's going to make her life easier, I want to make her life easier, right? Absolutely. That's what we should do. Now then, my son, verse 20, keep your father's commandment and forsake not the law of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart and tie them about your neck. When you, when you go, it shall lead you. When you sleep, it shall keep you. And when you wake, it shall talk with you. For if the commandment is a lamp and the law is light, and reproof of instructions are the way of life. The reproof of instructions are the way of life. Now then, if this is the way of life, when you ask your mate, what can I do that would make your life easier? Be ready for constructive criticism. And if he says something, listen. Now guys, I'm going to ask y'all, y'all do that first. You ask your wife first, and then be ready, you know. Whatever she said, don't, I can't believe that little stupid thing I do bugs you. No, 
If that's the way you're going to respond, then it ain't going to do, you've lost the whole thing right there. You lost the whole thing. Be ready to change, you know. And then if you will change, then when you, when she asks you something, you know, then she'll be ready to listen to you. So you can definitely make each other's life easier. And we need to, we need to work like that, work together. What time is it? Okay, that's what I thought it was. That's what my watch said, but for some strange reason, it seemed like uh, it was later than that. Chapter 10 in Proverbs. In the multitude of words, in the multitude of words, in chapter 10, verse 19, in the multitude of words, there is no sin. Is that what it says? What does it say? In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. What does that mean? The more you talk, the more you sin. Is that what he's trying to say? That's what he's trying to say. The more you talk, the more you sin. In the multitude of words. That's why I say some of us need three or four layers of duct tape around our tongue and our mouth to watch what we say. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. I guess I'm going to have to start walking around like this. <laughs> It'd probably help. There you go, both hands. That'd probably help. That'd probably help. And then the next thing I need to do is anytime somebody asks me a question or makes a statement, I need, with both hands over my mouth, I need to think a couple of minutes first, let it run through my mind and heart. Then after I've got it all totally figured out and I'm not upset or mad about nothing, when I totally know I'm in control, then take my hands off and say something nice and quiet and gentle. Be in control of my word. And then speak few words, not a lot. I mean, isn't it wonderful what's in this book? He tells us everything, doesn't he? It's a good owner's manual, isn't it? Great owner's manual. The tongue, verse 20 says, The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The heart of the wicked is worth nothing, technically. The lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for want of wisdom. Why is it some people just won't listen? Why is it we won't listen sometimes? I think that the older we get, and the more we study God's Word, the more we realize the importance of listening and getting the counsel of many wise men. You know, I've come to realize that when I start to do something, it's just like, Last night, I disappeared in the ministry center and went up to my office and sat down behind my computer with my architectural program, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, how I'm going to add on to the building, and where I need the space. And I'm praying and asking God, God, how much extra room do I need to add? What do I need to do? Number one, it comes apparent, became apparent to me that when I only put one bathroom in the front part of the ministry center, that's not enough now. That's not enough. 
Amen. Rosemary's already got her hand up over here. So, yeah, she's been out there helping us out, working us out. And, I mean, that girl comes out and, and she just puts pain on me. <laughs> she comes out and she gives all of us in the minister center a free massage. And I'm telling you, when she puts her pains or hands on my back and pushes those little buttons on there that causes blood to flow into your hands and your arms, sure does make you feel good and she gets through. But when she's working on you, sure does hurt. <laughs> I told her, I said, I know what you're doing. You're coming out here getting even with me, girl. You're hurting me. No pain, no gain. But see, boy, when she gets through with me, I said, oh, I don't even want to get, I said, I'm just going to take a nap now and sleep a little while. This is when she kicks me off the chair and said, get up and go to work. Time for you to get to work. We have lots of fun. But we realize that with one bathroom, with the number of people we got out there, it's not enough. So, I'm going to add a thousand square feet on the back and to one half of the building. And the first part in that will be three more bathrooms. So, I'm going to put three more bathrooms back there. So, now I'll have technically the residence portion of it. I'll have two bathrooms in and the actual ministry center, where you don't have to go inside of the what I call the residence, there will be three bathrooms, which that should be enough for a while, I think. Three. I hope that'll be enough. And then as I'm there putting that on, I thought, Lord, that ought to be enough. And then a thought came to me. Why don't you just go ahead and add a little bit on the south end while you're at it? Go ahead and pour the slab and get ready to put the steel up. I thought, well, Lord... So I clicked on that and started pulling the wall out there. And I said, how far out should I go? And I'm pulling that out there. And it stopped at 45 feet. I thought, Lord, that's 2,700 more square feet. And with the 1,000 behind, that's 3,700 square feet. That's 100 square feet bigger than the building is now. I thought, Lord, is this what you want me to do? And I had complete peace about it. I said, okay, Lord. If you don't change your mind between now and the time I start, that's what I'm going to lay out the farms for. I thought I had plenty to start out with, but we got the little place packed out. I mean, we just got all kinds of rooms and people and everything else and storage. And I mean, then, of course, me, you know, me and a man, you know, we got the big, nice ministry room where the couches where we minister to people that come in from all over the place. And, of course, over in the corner behind the door, you know, it's nothing there. So I came in the other day and put 5,000 CDs there, 5,000 DVDs there, and 1,000 VHS tapes and everything else. And my honey bunny comes running. She said, what do you mean putting this in the ministry room? I said, well, I had to have a good place to put it. There was nothing against the wall. There. So I thought that would be a good thing to do. She said, you don't want this in the ministry room where you minister to people. You want it to look nice in here. Doesn't that sound just like a woman? See? You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm looking for space, guys. She's looking at it from her standpoint. I'm looking at it from my standpoint. So I thought, so she moved all kinds of stuff all over the ministry room so she could put all that stuff in there. And we hauled it all out again. But we got it out of the ministry room. See, now that sounds like a woman, doesn't it? She wanted to look nice. When people come out there, we sat down. She don't want a room cluttered up with boxes. She wants it to look nice. Thank God for women. That's why God made women, and that's why he made men. And let's tell you, we don't think down the same line, do we? Not at all. Some of you girls know what I mean, right? You've got these kind of guys, just like me. That I mean, you know, he'll bring a 
I mean, you, I, how many of you ladies have ever had a son that you come home and you had a beautiful wooden table? You were so proud of it. You always kept it covered with a, a really nice cloth and your son's in there with a transmission off of his motorcycle overhauled it on your kitchen table. Any of y'all ever had a son that did those kind of things? <laughs> I mean, boys don't think like girls. They do dumb things. So just get used to it. That's the way we are. But anyway, we're, we're trying to, and we're going to start this, hopefully this week or next week. I'm going to start to, uh, pulling the ground down, putting some farms up back there, and we're going to pour that slab, hopefully next week on the back part of that, and we're going to come up with another thousand feet. We're going to do that first and put three bathrooms there, so we'll have three bathrooms in the backside of the ministry center, because I feel that we certainly need it, and of course I had people there last week that I was ministering to that had prostate troubles, you know, had to go to the bathroom every 15 minutes, and guy goes up there and somebody else in the bathroom, you know, so, I mean, that's, you know, if, you, if you've if got those kind of problems and you need to go, you need to go, you know, you not, don't need to wait 15 or 20 minutes while somebody else gets out, so I think, okay, Lord, I'm getting the answer, I'm going to build some more, Lord, just give me a little bit of time. Then it says, where was that? Chapter, which one was I on? Ten. Chapter 10, verse 20. Okay, yeah, okay. Verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. Okay, yeah, that's where I was. Yeah, right. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the forward tongue shall be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaks forwardness. If a man lacks wisdom, where do you get it? Where is there only one source? From who the master? From the king. You know, the, the church is just like I was most of my life. It's unfortunate. It took me so many years to get here. When the king says, do everything in prayer with thanksgiving. Do what? Everything? He couldn't have meant that, could he, brother? But he did, didn't he? Well, why don't we do it? How many of us, just like me and you, big old boys, that we know what we're doing, we don't need God to help us on this little project, do we? Have you ever been guilty of that like I have? More than once. Yeah, more than once. I guarantee us guys, you know. I mean, this is the way we are. When everything's gone wrong, and your wife comes up and says, have you prayed about that yet? Well... Okay, I guess it has just about come down to that. I've been working on this for two days. I think about this man. that I had the privilege to train a lot of men at Sky Chef in the Word of God. And one of those men had a tremendous... I told him, guys do everything in prayer. Don't do nothing without praying over it. So he had this beautiful high-performance car. I mean, it was one of them really high-performance jobs that... He was so proud of that car. And he was going to change. It was a, nearly a brand new one, only a year or so old. And he only drove it on special days. When it was raining, he wouldn't, he wouldn't take that car out of the garage. I guarantee you. He had a, a normal Chevrolet he drove when it rained. Or, but when it was beautiful, he'd drive this beautiful car. It was his baby. 
it was really his God. But now then he's learning what God really is. So anyway, he, went, he, needed, he wanted to change spark plugs in it. He took it down to the dealer, and they wanted $250 labor to change the spark, eight spark plugs. It's so hard to work on with all that junk it had on it. So he said, that's okay, I'll change it myself. So anyway, he found out why they charged $250. He was out there working on his car. For two days, he worked on his car trying to change spark plugs. And one spark plug up in the front after he took the alternator off, took the air conditioning compressor off, and everything else, he still couldn't. He finally got it out, but he could never get the new one back in. I mean, he said he cut his arm all up and everything with the metal. It was such a tight place and it had to be a contortionist to get to it. Finally, the next day at work, after he'd worked two days, he told one of the other men. He said, you know, I just can't get that spark plug. That guy said, oh, you're not a mechanic. You're a building mechanic. You know, he said, now this is what we're not supposed to do. He's cutting him down, making fun of him. He said, I'll, I'm a truck mechanic. I'll come out there and I'll put that plug in there for you for five minutes. said, I'll, I'll drive by your house. said, you're just a building mechanic. I mean, you building mechanics don't know nothing about cars. You shouldn't even try to work on them. The Lord told us not to do that, didn't he? Joshing, jesting. So he comes out there and works four hours and can't get it in there either. And the next day, one of the other men said, Okay, I'll come put it in there for you. And he came out there and he worked four hours and he couldn't get it in there. We got some time invested in the spark plug. <laughs> now you know why the dealer charges 250 bucks to put the plugs in there, right? So after nobody gets this plug in, He's out there the next thing and trying everything, arm all cut up, scratched up. And he said, I finally thought about what you taught us. Pray. Out in the middle of all these guys that are watching and neighbors and everything else, he lays down his tools, gets down on his knees in front of that car and says, Father, in the name of Jesus, I got to have some help. I cannot put this spark plug in this car. Will you please either send an angel or something, but will you please, Father, help me in Jesus' name, put this spark plug in this car. He said, thank you, Lord. You did say I could ask anything and you would do it. And can you imagine the king standing right there saying, son, if you just ask, I'd help you. But if you think you, if you're proud and you think you can do it yourself, he said, go ahead. Go ahead. He don't mind. He said, I got up off my knees. Put that spark plug down in that socket, ran it down around in the backside of that thing, started turning, and turning in five seconds, he said it was screwed to the bottom. Five seconds. He said it went down in there like it just screwed right in here. And he'd only been there two days himself, two other guys, four hours each, and none of them could put that spark plug in that hole. But after prayer, five seconds. When the Lord says everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, don't you think we ought to pray first. Well, let me tell you, that made a believer out of that boy. After that, I could see them guys, my head leads out there on the floor. They're getting ready to do some kind of a chore before they open their toolbox. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, will you help us do this job? Isn't that amazing? And God blessed those boys' socks. So everybody knew that my department became one of the most praying teams there was. But let me tell you, we had a zero accident record? I said, they said, now Thurman, you got to put up all these signs to tell your people what to do to keep them getting hurt. I said, no, I don't need none of that stuff. All I need is prayer over my department. And then when they come against me to tell me, to tell me, 
You can't pray with these guys no more. You've got to stop this. You've got to put up these things, like we said. I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a team of guys like mine that do what mine do that have gone all these years without one single injury? They said, it's never happened. I said, and I didn't put up your signs, but I pray over these guys every day. They said, if you don't stop praying in the name of Jesus, we're going to fire you. I said, good. Go ahead. And they did. Praise God. I ain't never had so much fun since I got fired. I got to go to work for the king. And I want to tell you, God knew I was never going to retire. And he had something else for me to do. That's why he kicked me out. He has kicked me out and put me in the ministry and just done wonderful things. And I've loved every minute of it. I only now look back and think, Lord, why didn't you do this 10 or 20 years ago? I've had, I've, I, that's probably right. Absolutely, brother. I didn't have. Oh, Lord, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> what we miss out because we don't ask, right? Oh, my goodness gracious. How much fun it is to serve God. And I can only see him how many times he wants to help us. And we won't ask. Can't you just imagine him as proud guys? I can do this, God. I don't need your help. He said, okay, good. Go right ahead. Let's see what kind of luck you have. Yep, yep, it worked 10 more years, that's okay. But I did pray a lot in my job, in my workplace, and I did see the Lord do some wonderful things. Now then, chapter 12, verse 18. Chapter 12, 18, Proverbs. There is that speaketh like the piercing of a sword... How many of you have ever had somebody speak something to you that was like a piercing of a sword? Everybody has. We've probably all been guilty of it ourselves. But the tongue of the wise is what? It's what? Health. How can that be? What does that mean? The tongue of the wise is health. Well, let me tell you. When I sat down, and some of you have learned these same principles... When I sat down with somebody, and we have people now, we're having people come to our ministry center from all over the country. We're having people come from everywhere. I mean, I've had people, just virtually every, all kinds of states, I, it just never ceases to amaze me when people call and want to come sit down and talk with us. And some of them are from way off. Some of them drive hours or days to come and sit down to spend two or three or four hours with us. And I sit down with those people and find that where they're living, and nearly every time they're not living in the Word. And so out of my mouth comes these words, and God's Word comes forth, and we have people that leave our ministry center that are healed. In fact, I call this man's name because he was here the other day and gave his testimony, Tommy from Weatherford, he had spent a million dollars on his body in the last 10 years. That's a bunch, isn't it? All kinds of surgeries and had carpal tunnel in both hands, severe, serious pain. He was never without pain. He had had surgery on one. It didn't help, so he wasn't going to have it on the other one. And now then, he has been diagnosed with terminal cancer 
and it's so bad they want to give him both chemo and radiation, and he was scheduled to go to Houston to see how extensive it was going to be. And his preacher had heard about me, and he brought him out, called to see if he could come out and spend a few hours with me on Monday. I said, sure, y'all come on. So they came out, and with those two men, I spent, I think it was about 1 o'clock when my meeting was, and I spent till about 6 o'clock that night with those two men. I built their faith mountain high, kicked that devil out of him, and the man got healed. He said, I'm supposed to go to MD Anderson tomorrow for a test. What should I do? I said, well, that's up to you, but if you believe God and his word, you'll forget MD Anderson. Now, if you don't believe God, you're going to go down there and they're going to give you radiation and chemo and you're going to die. It's your choice. Which one do you want to take? God says, when you come to me, you just come to me with faith and not no wavering in your heart. That's kind of tough too, isn't it? This invisible God that we can't see. But these words that I'm speaking come out of his book. He watches over his word to perform it. So when I kicked that devil out of the man... Finally, two months later, he felt so good. And from that afternoon, I guess the reason he really didn't go is because his pain in his hands left almost instantly. He knew something had happened. So he wouldn't go. A couple months later, M.D. Anderson kept bugging him to come down because they had the results of his test. But now they wanted to do a continuing test. So finally, after two months, he told them, I'm healed. I feel great. They said, it can't be. It's impossible. At least come down and let us do a test. So he did. He went down, they'd done the test, and his cancer was gone. He was healed. Now then, he come up here and told us. He gave his testimony. He said, I only wished I had known ten years ago what Thurman's taught me from the Word of God. Well, let me tell you. Out of my lips come health. Because what comes out of our mouth? God's Word. So when God's Word comes out of our mouth, it brings health to all of our flesh. Even to those of us that are a couple of old stupid Baptists. (laughs) We're learning, aren't we, brother? We are are learning. I mean, when God gets where He can move on the hearts of Baptists, He's scraping the bottom of the barrel. He's scraping the bottom of the barrel, us Baptists. But He loves us Baptists, doesn't He? Amen. Aren't we glad? We're so glad the King loves us Baptists. Then he says, in verse 19, The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. A lying tongue is but for a moment. What did God say he'd do to a lying tongue? He said he'd cut it out. I don't know about you, but that hurts so bad when I bit the top of mine the other day, Linda. I sure would. I can imagine what it would be like if somebody jerked it out and cut it off. That'd be, that'd be serious stuff, wouldn't it? Wow. Verse 20 says, Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. It's amazing what's in this book of Proverbs, isn't it? I mean, everything you need for life... There shall no evil happen to the just. If you walk holy and righteous before God, what can that devil do to you? The Word of God says he can't do nothing to you. No evil shall come to the just, but the wicked shall be filled with mischief. That's the devil. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. 
but they that deal truly are his delight. He loves it when you do what's right and you seek him. And he won't let any evil come near you. A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. Wow. It's absolutely amazing. You know, I've, I've said this a lot of times, but it would really, really, really benefit the church if we could make time, especially as fathers, to sit down with our spouses and our children, regardless of how old our children are, if they're at home, and read, just read one chapter of a book of Proverbs every night. Just one chapter. None of them's very long. Some of them are really short. You can read them in a few minutes, but if you'd read one chapter every night for 31 days, you'd read the whole book. If you do that just one time a year, every year with you and your children, I'm telling you, it would change your life forever. If you just do it. But let me ask this question and I'm going to close and I don't want you to hold up your hand. I want you to think about this. How many of you as Christians have never sat down yourself and over 31 days or any period of time have never read the entire book of Proverbs yourself? There's a lot of people that, have ne- that are Christians. And this book is an owner's manual. And the king holds us accountable for how much of this book? All of it. But yet we've never read the book of wisdom. 31 measly little chapters of the book of Proverbs. And you've never read it through not one time. Now, I've been a Christian probably 15 or 20 years at least. And if you'd asked me that question, I probably never read the book of Proverbs at all. I didn't know you were supposed to read the Bible at home. I mean, I was studying my Sunday school lesson in the quarterly they gave me. Sometimes, Keith, I didn't read that all the time. You know, sometimes on Saturday night I think, gee, i got Sunday school. Today's Saturday. Tomorrow I've got to go to Sunday school. Ooh, where's that quarterly? Let me see if I can read what they got in the quarterly. At least I'll have some kind of an idea of what we're talking about tomorrow. But to sit down and study the Word, I didn't do it. It wasn't important to me. I didn't have any idea that I was being held accountable for everything in this book. But once I begin to understand that, then I want to study this book. Read it, study it, meditate on it, take it apart, see what it says. And when you do that, worship and praise the king. I mean, yeah, don't do it eating an apple. But I'm sure the Lord was liking my singing anyway. I don't know, he might not have been. That might have been why he had me bite my tongue. I don't know. Yeah. He thought, well, son, I love you, but I'm not too sure about you singing, so I'll just let you bite your tongue, and then you'll be quiet a little while. I don't know. Maybe he did that. I don't know. Lord, I know you would never do that. It was just my stupidity. I'm singing and biting an apple at the same time, and anybody ought to have better sense than that. But this book of Proverbs is such an awesome book. Make a covenant with God that sometime between now and the time this year is over, 
make a covenant with him. Lord, I sit down and read all 31 chapters, one chapter at a time, slowly. Lord, reveal to me what you want me to learn from this. I mean, if you want me to spend an hour in chapter 1, then let me spend an hour. If you want me to read it in 15 minutes, then just whatever you want me to learn, teach it to me. But Lord, this year, I'm going to make an, an agreement or a covenant with you that before this year's over, I will read one time through this little tiny book of Proverbs. 31 measly little chapters. One chapter at a time. Don't try to overload yourself. One chapter at a time. Now, sometimes, some of those may be so interesting, you may read certain parts of it three or four or five times. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll do that, if you've never done that, the Word of God will change your life forever. You will never be the same after you've read the book of Proverbs through one time. If you listen to it, you've got to listen to it. And then you've got to believe what it says is for you. And it is the owner. Sybil, that's the owner's manual written to you and me. You know that? He's no respecter of person. What he says and he expects me to do, just like he does you, doesn't he? And when we do what he says, guess what he does for us? He blesses our socks off with good health and long life. How many of you know that we really have freedom in Christ? Yes. I mean, we really have freedom in Christ, Sharon, don't we? Yes. I mean, but most of us don't know it. And that's what's so devastating to think of the freedom we have. Uh, in fact, I got a note. Uh, I've told that story, I guess, the first time I thought about that story about the Emancipation Proclamation. One of our uh, uh, directors uh, out there at Skyshelf for our work, uh, he was a fantastic Christian man, but he was a black man. And he just had a, a fantastic job, and he was the, one of the greatest Christians that you could ever imagine. And he told me one day, he said, uh, after uh, your granddaughter was almost killed in that car wreck, he said, the church I go to has over a thousand people in it. And he said, of course, he came come out to see me several times when I was in the hospital with her. And he said, after she fully recovered, he said, I told that story in my church myself from what I'd seen. And he said, I don't think there was a dry eye in the entire church. He said, that's the most awesome story I've ever seen in my life. And he said, why aren't more people, you know, living where you live in faith? And I looked at him a minute, and the Lord brought that story to me about Abraham Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation. The Lord just revealed me right there. He said, son, the black man was freed whenever Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. But he said, for a hundred years, they lived in bondage. And finally... Martin Luther come along and with words took away from the enemy what had rightfully belonged to the black man for a thousand years. I mean, for a hundred uh, years. And he said, that's where my church is living. I freed them. I freed the church 2,000 years ago. And yet the church is living in bondage because they don't know my word. And I thought, wow, that is an awesome thing. So I sat there in told him that story, and he was blown away. He said, you're absolutely right. He said, to think today that I went to a fine college, got a fine education, and here I'm a director of a large company paying, making a very good income. And he said, I can do anything anybody else could do. But he said, some of my forefathers could never have had this job. 
They could have not lived there. Because before the 1960s come along, you couldn't go there if your skin color was black. Isn't that amazing? And yet you look at the Supreme Court, and did you know back in those early days, if your skin was black, the Supreme Court said you were not a human being. Is that crazy? That's the devil, isn't it? I mean, I mean, just because your skin is black, it makes no difference if you're white. You cut either one of us, and underneath there, blood, red blood flows out. So God made the white, the black, the red, the yellow. He made us all. In fact, I, I, have made, I was raised up in a little country town where there was nobody but just plain white people. I didn't know there was anybody else different in the world. And after I learned, after I got older and learn the problems that were going on with different colored people on this earth, I asked God a question. I said, Lord, why is it, didn't you just make everybody look exactly the same and then we wouldn't have had this problem? And that sounded like that made good sense to me until I went into the military and I went to Japan. When I went to Japan, I saw these little oriental people, short, you know, and they, they, you know, they were uh, uh, little people, and uh, I forgot to turn my cell phone off, but thank goodness it didn't go off. And I, I saw these little people, and they all looked the same, and then I got transferred to Korea, where the Korean people looked just exactly like the Japanese to me, little, short, oriental people. Well, I'm over there one day, and I said, uh, I met a guy there, and I said, sir, uh, are you Korean or Japanese? And that guy, you would have thought I hit him in the face with a two-by-four. He's jumped back and said, don't you call me no Jap. I said, sir, I'm sorry. I didn't call you a Jap. I asked if you were a Japanese or a Korean. He said, I'm a Korean and don't you ever forget it. And I walked off and I thought, Lord, it wouldn't have made a difference if you'd made every one of us look exactly the same. We'd have found something to killed each other over. You know, we'd have found something. Because the devil, I mean, isn't that amazing? So now I realize that don't make no difference. You know, the difference is the devil, and the devil, it makes no difference. If, I mean, you could, attack, you could take all white people, and some of them be born on this side of the railroad track, and some on this side if you're born on that side. Now, in one city, if you're born on the north side, you ain't no good. But in the next city, if you're born on the south side, you ain't no good. So it don't make no difference. The devil will use something to stir us up to get us killing, stealing, and destroying. Won't he? He's very good. The what, sir? When you say, are you Cantonese? Oh. Over there, they'll say yes. In Japan, they'll say yes. But they won't admit that because when the Kublai Khan came in and kicked out all the Japanese to the island, Yeah. Mongolians are in charge in Korea now. Oh, okay. So when they're the ruling class, everybody else wants to be that part too. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So now realize that between the enemy and the flesh, we're in trouble. So that's why we got to be able to walk in love. You got to be able to walk in love. It pays good dividends. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that when you're in control, love never fails. 
and I'm grateful for that. Lord, I ask you to bless us tonight as we study more about your words and how words affect us. In other words, the tongue, the power of the tongue and what we do with our tongues. There's so many things that we do with our tongues that is so powerful. Lord, help us to gain knowledge and wisdom and revelation and understanding tonight about our tongues, how we can either build people up or we can kill people with our tongue. Help us, Lord, to be in control of our tongue because you said in your word that no man can control the tongue. And when the man tries, he fails every time. So, Lord, may your Holy Spirit be in control in our life, every day of our life. In Jesus' name, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Now, bless the Word as we discuss it tonight. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to start off tonight uh, with this magnificent promise in the Word of God. And I've just used this verse in everything I've done lately. But I want you to turn... To Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. And I want to really try to get this in our spirits, the importance of what the Word of God says that we must do if we want our children to be productive and successful in life. Now, how many of you besides me want your children to be productive and successful in life? That's all of us. Every one of us want our children to be this way. Well, let me tell you, there is a requirement in God's Word that it seems like not even the church listens to. We don't do this. In fact, I asked a question in this session the other day, and I might ask this one more time after I read this verse. When I read this verse, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want to see how many of us have uh, the right answer to this. Now, listen to what the Word says. In chapter 1 of verse, and verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your ways prosperous, and then shall you have good success. Now, according to God's Word, what does the Word of God, which takes precedence over everything in the world, what does the Word of God say we must do to be prosperous and successful? Meditate on the Word. Okay, and how often? Day and night. Okay, now let me ask this question one more time. How many of you, as fathers... 
Because God holds you fathers accountable. How many of you fathers have taken that to heart and you read the Word of God, at least a little of God's Word, to your children, if you have children still at home and they're living at home, how many of you fathers take your children sometime during the morning or the evening or something and on a regular daily basis and read and sit down and discuss and pray over the Word of God in your home? How many of you do that? Now, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Not nobody held up their hand. Do we not believe this book? What's wrong with us, Keith? Huh? Isn't that a shame? I mean, the devil will do that to you, won't he? He'll do everything he can to keep you and Shelley and your children out of this book, won't he? Yes, he will. He'll do it not only to you, he'll do it to me and Cheryl. He'll do it to everybody. I'm going to tell you that way back here, way back yonder in the law, right here, in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8, this is the most important thing that you can do for your children is to read them God's Word. I mean, every day, every evening. I mean, uh, now, to meditate on it day and night is something else. That takes a, that's a lot. But that's what he said, though, wasn't it, young lady? I mean, I didn't write this book, did I? I'm accountable to this book just like you are. But the king says... Well, now I guess I can say this one more time. Let's say the, Let me ask this question one more time to see if I get any hands on this one. How many of you would like for your children to be prosperous and successful? <laughs> okay. <laughs> if all of us didn't want our children to be prosperous and successful, the answer is to do what? Meditate on the Word day and night. So how do you do that? You take your children and you sit down with them and read and study and talk about the Word. In other words, you don't have to read four chapters a night. Sit down with the Word somewhere. I mean, you don't even have to take a certain place. Just open it. Open the Bible and say, tonight we're going to read. Let's see what we're going to read tonight, kids. Oh, okay. Here's one Psalms right here. Psalms 88. We'll just read Psalms 88 tonight. You know, try that. God, He'll do wonderful things for you if you'll just open His book. I know one time I remember that uh, it was time. For, we did this quite often at our home. And, in fact, all, almost every evening. I tried to do this every evening with my children. And so I would sit down with them as a family, and I'd say, Okay, tonight we're going to read. Well, when my daughter got about this big... I don't know, eight, nine, whatever, you know, when they get, you know, where they know more than mom and daddy, you know how, you know how that is, right? We've all raised them so we know what we mean. Well, she was really busy that evening, and I said, it's Bible study time, of course. Uh, my son, he had one or two friends over that night, you know, too, and so there's a bunch of kids around. And it didn't make any difference to me, you know, time to read the Word. And I said, time to read the Word, let's read. And Amanda said, Daddy, uh, we're busy tonight. We're playing. We don't have time to read. I said, no, 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 no. We're going to stop and take a few minutes, and we're going to read God's Word. But, Daddy, I don't want to tonight. I've got other things I want to do. I said, no. We're going to read the Word of God tonight. She said, well, okay, then. If we've got to read, let me read. <laughs> so I handed her the Bible just like this. Where do you want me to read? I said, you just pick a place. So she said, okay. 
She opened it, dropped it on her lap and said, Children, obey your parents and all the... <laughs> she said, Daddy, you did that to me. Who did that to her, Keith? The Lord did. I, there ain't no way in the world, there ain't no way in the world she could open that Bible and read, Children, obey your parents in all things. <laughs> and then she thought what she said. She closed it and said, Daddy, you did that to me. No, I didn't do that to her. Isn't that amazing? God was sitting right there saying, I'll get my little daughter. I'll show her. <laughs> See, you can have some awesome experiences with God. Even in the rebellion, you know, the Lord. I mean, you just, I mean, I just, okay, well, if you want to read, you close it and hand it to her. And, you know, she opened it and read right there. And as she started reading, I thought, I mean, I'm just looking up laughing with them. I said, oh, Lord, are you doing it to my baby tonight? You're really doing it to her. Oh, it made her so mad, you know, she just couldn't hardly stand it. But... I said, now then, let's read that again real slow and carefully. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is the will of God. Oh, goodness. I mean, you know, that, that had more of an impact on her. There's nothing I could have done. There's no place I could have put her in the Word to let her do that all on her own. And to see the Lord do that right there, it's such an awesome thing to realize that when we do things, the Lord is right there in our home all the time, listening, watching. Wow. It makes a difference, you know, whenever you realize He's there. But now then, what did He say do if you want your children to be prosperous and successful? What? Meditate on the Word. Meditate on the Word day and night. I mean... So if that is that important, and we had absolutely no takers on that, don't you all think maybe we ought to start doing a little more of what God said if we want to be successful and prosperous? It's, it's, it, but he said it, didn't he, Keith? He owes me just as accountable as he does you. You know that, don't you? I am just as accountable as everybody else. So we have to take his word and do what he says because he is the Lord. Now then... After seeing what he says about meditating on the Word day and night, so we will be prosperous and have great success. And all of us want to be prosperous, and all of us want to have great success. But none of us are doing what the king said. So that tells us why we're not prosperous and successful, and why our children are not prosperous and successful. Because many of our children can tell you the names of every new computer game on the block. They know how to operate it. They can run them lightning fast. I went into Walmart the other night to get something, and I went by the electronic section, and there was a couple of little boys, one about this big, one about this big, and they had two different games sitting there. And that little one, I mean, he was knocking a guy out. He was killing him. And I stood there for a few minutes, and I watched that little guy's body. I mean, he was becoming one with that television. You know that? That little guy was doing... Although he was moving them controls, he was living what he was doing on that screen. And I thought, is that, if that's not the devil preparing that little guy for something bad in the future. See, you become what you feed into yourself day and night. That's why the Lord told you and me to meditate on the Word of God day and night. 
And then look what he says here in Proverbs chapter 4. This again is talking about words or our tongue. Words are spoken with our tongues out of our mouth. Look at what he says in Proverbs 4.20. My son, or my daughters, or my children, attend to my words. Now, how do you attend to the Word? He told you to meditate on the Word day and night. So, when you meditate or read the Word day and night, then you have to attend to or take, do something or act on the Word. If the Word tells you to do something, what do you have to do? If the Word tells you, you shall not lie, then what are you supposed to do? You shall not lie. If the, if the Word... In fact, uh, let, me, let me make a statement or two off of this other outline that I've got here. I want to show you something. In, this is in Proverbs 12, 23. It says, A prudent man conceals knowledge. But the heart of fools proclaim foolishness. And here's one too. Lying lips. This is with your tongue or your mouth. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. Now, how, all, how is all of that done? With your tongue, your mouth, your lips. That's how all that is done. The, the mouth, the tongue, the lips... It's so powerful as Christians. It's so powerful. And here's something that people need to know. In Proverbs 12, 25, it says anxiety. Now, what did the king say in the New Testament about anxiety? What are we supposed to do with anxiety? Cast it out. Okay, but we're supposed to cast it on him. We're supposed to cast our anxiety on him. So what if we don't do that? A lot of us come up and throw it on him, but then we get ready to leave. We reach over and get it and drag it and drag it behind us. You know, we've got a, like a cotton sack falling along behind us. I mean, I know y'all are just like me, you know, because I'm a man, a human being, so I do those same dumb things. But he says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. And don't be anxious. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in prayer with thanksgiving. So be anxious for nothing. Because if you have anxiety and you let it get all the way down into your heart, what does it bring? Depression. Now, how many of you want to go around depressed all day long? Not me. No, I don't want to go around depressed. So it's amazing that some of the things that some of the things that's in the book of Proverbs... I, I'm, I made a statement the other day. I, I, I don't know. I may, have to, uh, I may have to eat these words and do this. I, I really do. I need to. I really would like to do this. Proverbs is just 31 chapters. I would like to memorize the entire book of Proverbs. You know how that would affect your life? If you had those 31 chapters, all the wisdom of the universe is hidden Somewhere within those 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. Every answer to life is hidden there. I mean, if I, 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 knew, I knew of a, I don't know them personally, but I do know this woman, but she's a minister, but I, I don't know her. I mean, hadn't actually, you know, been formally introduced, but I've been to meetings and so forth where she is, and I've seen her, and I heard her make this statement. 
She said, when I was a little girl growing up, my mother forced us to memorize chapter 1 of the book of Proverbs. Once we got chapter 1 memorized, then she forced us to memorize chapter 2. And so before we got out of high school, Mama had forced us to memorize six chapters of the book of Proverbs. And I thought I had the meanest Mama in the world. But she said, now then that I'm 30, some part of 35 or whatever it was, she said, the only thing wrong with Mama, she should have forced us to have memorized all 31 chapters. Because she said those six chapters, almost every time something comes up in my life, I automatically come back and the answers in the first six chapters of the book of Proverbs. Isn't that amazing? Now then, think what he says here in verse 4, in chapter 4, verse 20. My son, attend to my words. Not just one or two of them. How much of the book of the law did he say meditate on day and night? All of it. All of it. So we'll be prosperous. He said, my sons or my children, attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my things. What would you say, Lord? What did you say? Lord, I want to make sure I heard you. Incline your ear over there. Listen. Make sure you heard him. If you have to read it out loud five times, make sure they got it or make sure you got it. That's why sometimes when I sit down and read the Word, I will sit down and read the Word or make... I, I, sometimes I will even sit down and, and make a copy of Galatians or 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians or... Ephesians or whatever, and I'll burn it to CD. And sometimes I'll make little notes within the CD or whatever, and then I just stick it in the car. And when I'm going somewhere, I listen to the Word of God over and over and over. You know, it's amazing. I may put Galatians in there, or the other night I was thinking I put Colossians and Philippians, and each one took me about 15 minutes of recorded time to read them slow. That's all it takes, 15 minutes. You take that CD with those two on there and put it in there, and in 30 minutes you can listen to each one of those books one time through. You know, Colossians is a powerful book, and it's only 15 or 16 minutes is all it takes to put it on tape. Just sit down and read it slow. You know how much power is in those 16 minutes worth of words? You can, that's like a nuclear bomb when you get a hold of it. You know? I mean, one, I, made that, I made that statement one time years ago before the alert that we have now. But, you know, I'm carrying my Bible, and I had a little case around it, and a guy said, what do you have in your case? And I said, that's my nuclear bomb. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank goodness it wasn't after the terrorists. You know, he said, that's a What? I said, that's my nuclear bomb. He said, what do you got that thing, mister? I said, it's a Bible. I'm an engineer. I travel and I always take my Bible with him. I would never make that statement today, Keith. I mean, if I was to take my nuclear bomb, they wouldn't ask no question. They'd wash me off to jail. And six months later, maybe I'd get to talk to somebody. So you don't make no statements like that no more. Not today, you don't. But that was before the high alert stuff come along like it does now. But did you know that book is more powerful than any nuclear bomb in history? That book has the answer to everything, everything. And the book of Colossians is so powerful. I mean, if you've met anybody that can take... In fact, the book of Colossians, which only takes 16 minutes to read it slowly and put it onto a tape. If you would take the book of Colossians 
and read each one of the chapters real slow, word by word, real slow, word by word, over and over and over. It's probably eight or ten times in one evening. I can guarantee you the Holy Spirit would reveal things in that book that you have never seen. And it would change your life forever. But you can take any of the books of the Bible and do that, and God will reveal Himself to you in that book. And it's awesome. So he says, attend to my words. Now then, if you're going, Proverbs 4.20, if he says, attend to my words, if you take a book like Colossians and you sit down and you read each one of those chapters over and over and over and over in one evening and spend two, three hours reading just the book of Colossians or go over just a few chapters of Ephesians and read it prayerfully and say, Father, in Jesus' name, Give me revelation and wisdom and knowledge from your word so that I will know what I'm supposed to do as your son or your daughter. What do you think he's going to do if you spend that kind of time with him in the word? He's going to reveal himself to you and he's going to take control of your life and everything that comes out of your mouth is going to be God. Now, if you get out of the word and you don't have to get out of it very long till the enemy's talking out of your mouth. You know that? I mean, you don't have to get out of the word long. And the devil has got a hold of your tongue. It don't take long. I know. I've been there and done it. Not just once. Several times. So, but i got to feel it. I'm not a loner. i got to feel it. I'm not a loner. Now, he said, when he says, attend to my words, what do you think he means? Sit down once a week on Sunday morning in a 30-minute Bible study or Sunday afternoon for an hour and a half and listen to some preacher talk to you about God's Word. And you don't bring your Bible to church. Is that attending to His words? No. Not hardly. You've got to spend some time with the King to attend to His words. And that's when life becomes fun, when you start attending to His words. Then he says, incline your ear unto my saying. So while you're attending to his words, you turn your ear. Lord, what are you telling me here, Lord? Lord, let me, shall I talk? Let me, shall I read it a little louder? He said, yeah, read it a whole lot louder and put your cuff over your ear so you make sure it all funnels right in there. <laughs> I mean, I'm being silly, but that's true. You know, I mean, he's trying to get our attention. Did, did he say attend to these words? That doesn't mean just read it, does it? It means attend to it. You know, taking care of these words. Incline, incline your ear to unto my things. Now, how many of his things? All of them. That's right. Not one or two. All of them. And then he says, let them not depart from your eyes. Now, did seem like we read that somewhere way back over in Joshua a while ago, right? Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So this must be important. Very important. So, if then, it, and I wonder why it's so important that we do this. Look what he says, verse twenty-two. For these words, the words that you'll speak with your tongue, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all. Their flesh, the whole body. Now, let me tell you, 
when you're, when you're out there seeking God's Word, let me tell you, this is what I see in the Word of God. As God was putting the Word together, I can see Him back off out here with a few of these awesome golden nuggets of His. And He said, well, let's see, to make sure that my children find a few of those, let me back off out here and let me just throw and scatter these words, these golden nuggets, all throughout my Word, so if they read anywhere in there, they're going to find a few of these wonderful promises. They're going to find a few of them. I mean, the devil's not going to be able to, def- to blind your mind to all of them if I just back off and throw these golden nuggets. Now then, if he'd have come over here and dug a hole, put all of them in one little hole, none of us might have found them. We might have walked out here and groped around in darkness forever. But he said, I'm not going to do that for my children. I'm going to take, instead of hiding them over here, I'm going to take them out here, and I'm going to sling them all over the ground out there, and they're going to be falling everywhere. All these little golden nuggets, these promises and everything about who they are, what they can do, and, and the mighty things I promised them after what my son did for them on the cross. And do you know, I still messed around in that book for 30 years and didn't find none of them. You know, that really makes me feel like a dummy, you know? To think how many years I read this book, and it, I read it like a novel. I didn't sit down and meditate on this book to find out this book means what it says. It's if you attend to these words, and out of your mouth come these words, and you let those things remain as your sayings, and you'll let them not depart from your eyes, and you'll keep them in the midst of your heart, They are life. Life. Let me ask you this question. How many of y'all in here besides me would like to have a long, healthy life? Is there anybody that's not willing to hold up your hand? Anybody here don't want a long, healthy life? There may be some people that don't want a long, healthy life. Well, I can tell you how you can have a short one. A miserable one. Just stay out of God's Word. You could have a short, miserable life. But most people don't want that, do they? So you know what we do? We spend billions and billions of dollars going to psychiatrists, doctors, taking drugs, trying to have a wonderful, beautiful, healthy, prosperous life. Don't we, Don? I mean, we do this. I used to. <laughs> but you learned the truth now, haven't you? You don't do that no more. But how many people do you know that, I mean, people say, well, God's just putting something on me. You think this headache come from God? Oh, yeah, he's trying to show me something. But I tell you, I've got an appointment with a doctor in the morning. I'm going to go see if I can get rid of it. Well, now, let me tell you what. If you think God put that on you, what are you going to the doctor to try to get rid of it for? You know, and that, that, that never did make any sense to me. You know, but it didn't come from God. It came from the devil. Now, God might have spoken a curse if you were a disobedient child. And he allowed that to happen because then he might have been the one that sent the demon, especially if you have unforgiveness towards someone. You know, if you have unforgiveness, this is another reason when you attend to his words. When you really attend to these words, you will find out, just like it it came, became a revelation to me one day that if I hold a grudge against someone, the Father in heaven will turn the tormenting spirits loose on me to torment me. 
And I'm telling you, when I found out that there's demons out there, and Jesus will turn them fellers loose on you, if you're holding a grudge against somebody, it became real easy for me to forgive everybody for everything. Real easy. Yeah, I mean, and forget, that's right. I mean, it doesn't matter what anybody says to me, I, I don't go there with a grudge no more. You know, I, I'm just not going there. I am not going to go there with a grudge. Now, I may get mad at you, you know, and be angry with you for a little while, but I am not going to let the sun go down on my wrath. I'm not going to go to bed mad at you. I guarantee you I'm not. You know, I'm just not going there either because I know what that does. It says... For these words, when we get these words, they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now then, somebody said, well, God healed us in the Spirit when we got saved, and He doesn't heal us physically. But look what happens. It says here in verse 23. Keep your heart or your spirit with all diligence. Not with a little bit of diligence, but with all diligence. For out of it, or your spirit, are the issues of life. Out of your spirit, man. Let me tell you, when you get a hold of this, all sickness and disease starts in the spirit world. All of it. The minute you sin, you open a door to a demonic being that's a spiritual being that you cannot see. And this being will come to you, and he'll come in to you, and from that spirit, he will begin to attack your flesh, and he will put hurt and sickness and disease, headaches and pains upon your flesh. And until you get rid of that sin, you technically cannot be healed. Now, there may be doctors that can do things to you that may alleviate the problem for a little while. How many people do you know that something come upon them? And they got sick. In fact, I can think of a man that has been to this church. His family comes to this church pretty regular. But a few years ago, maybe I guess at least two years ago, this woman called me and said, Thurman, would you please go down to the hospital at, uh, I believe it's Harris Methodist in Fort Worth, in room whatever, said, my husband, they've just called the family in, and my husband is not supposed to live through the night. Now, at this point, he had never been to this church. Her and her children, their children, had been here many times, but he would not come. I said, yes, ma'am, for you and those children, I will be happy to go. So I took off and I went down there and I walked into a room and they had already had called in the family and said tonight was probably going to be his last night on the earth. All the children had already been in and said goodbye to Daddy. Oh. But the mother says, after what I've heard at your church, I'm not buying that. She said, I want you to come down and find his sin and pray for him. So I went in and I found out that man had unforgiveness against almost everybody in his family. His children. I mean, his wife. I mean, all kinds of things. I told him, I said, sir, now I know why you're sick. And I showed him in the Word of God what unforgiveness does. See, I had attended to the words, and God had revealed these things to me. Now, he hadn't spent the time in there, so he didn't know what the Word says. So, 
if you don't attend to the words of God. If, if you attend to it and do what it says, then it brings long life. If you don't do it, what do you think it's going to bring? Death. A short life and death and torment in the process. So, he was suffering immensely and supposed to die. And when I showed him what the Word of God says about unforgiveness, the man repented. He said, I forgive them all. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. And I reached over and touched him and said something real profound. Be healed in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's what Jesus said to do, wasn't it? And guess what? The next Sunday he was in church with his wife. The next Sunday he was in church. The man's still alive and well today. Isn't that amazing? But yet they'd already called in the whole family and all the children had been in and said goodbye to their daddy because everybody there believed the doctor except mama. But the children were all young. You know, none of them was over probably 12 whatever, but they didn't know. You know, if the doctors say my mother or daddy's going to die, most 12-year-olds don't have any knowledge of the Word either. But mom had been here just enough times and heard me teach this thing. She said, I'm not giving up my husband at this age. Now, this guy was only about 50. I don't know about you, but at 50, I'm not ready to go home yet. Now, some of y'all, some of y'all may be, you say, 50? Good grief. Why, good, yeah, that, that guy's ancient. Well, yeah, if you're 20... That may be the case. But you wait until you get to be 50. And then 50 is not so old, is it, Jared? And when you get close to 50, 50 is not old at all. And then when you get 60 and then 70 and 80 and 90, you still are going to want to live longer. But you're going to want to do it in good health. And how are you going to do it in good health? Hide the Word in your heart. Meditate on it day and night. And it will bring long life to your flesh. All of it. Good health. Long life and health to all your flesh. And, it's, and your spirit, you must keep your spirit. What, what is it you have to feed your spirit? Words. What kind of words? God's Word. That's the only spiritual food in the world. It's right there in that book. So... If you really want to gorge yourself and have a great meal this evening, and it won't make you fat either. Amen. It won't make you fat. You can eat all that you want. You know, you can just gorge yourself. Now, I love bluebell ice cream. But I know what happens if I sit down and eat a half a gallon every night. You know, so I don't eat very much. You know, I don't bite very often because... The devil knows my weakness is bluebell ice cream. I can sit down and eat a half a gallon of that at one setting if I'm hungry. I mean, it's so good. It is. It's really good stuff. You know, I mean, but you have to have some self-control. And there's a few things in life I don't have a whole lot of self-control over. One of them is really good ice cream. And there's only one thing I like better than bluebell. And that's when we go somewhere, and especially when you take some of these Baptist ladies... They really know how to make homemade ice cream. Now, some of you Methodists and Catholic and Pentecostal, you might know how to know that too. But I was a member of a Baptist church for years, and we used to have some of them things, and they'd bring six or eight freezers full of every kind of ice cream known to man. I mean, you know, of course, you go up here and you get a big spoonful of this, you know, and then that one looks kind of like cherry, so you think, well, let me have just a big spoonful of this. And, ooh, that looks like buttered pecan, a big spoon. First thing there, you got a bowl this big. You know, and you go and you sit down and you're this big and you think, I've got to have one more round of that, you know. 
that I just can't control myself. So when you waddle home, you know, you, you know, you can't walk. You know, well, that shows up on you if you do that very regular. And so thank good if we didn't have them things, but about once or twice a year, you know, so that way I could, if we had them every night, forget it. I'd be out of control. But that's what we need to do with our spirit. If we would take the Word of God and feed it into our spirit man, hide it in our hearts, meditate on it day and night, the Word of God says it will bring long life to you and health to all your flesh. All of it. And every one of us want that. And then it also said over in Joshua, it will bring good success and make you very prosperous. Now, that's what we all of us want our children to do, to be healthy and prosperous and successful. And we do everything in the world to try to get them that way, except what God's Word says. Send them off to school and make them get, let them become a doctor and spend a quarter of a million dollars or whatever. Is that what we do? Sure we do, yeah. Send them to college. Let them get a master's degree. Don't have, don't, I mean, don't tell them about Jesus. You might warp them. But the Word of God says that's what will make them prosperous and successful. It's a shame to see a young person go to school and go to college and spend, who knows, uh, the first 12 years in high school and another 4, 6, 8, 10 years in colleges and get all kinds of degrees and don't even know Jesus and then never do nothing with their education. Nothing. Isn't that a shame? But they do it. But yet you'll take somebody that taught their child the Word of God, and they might not have had much education at all, maybe high school, maybe four years of college or whatever. But if they'll meditate on the Word, and they'll read it and study it, then as they grow in grace and knowledge and wisdom of the Word of God, they will become very prosperous and very successful in life. And then people look at him and say, well, I want to be like you. Well, yeah, everybody wants to be like you. But whenever they ask you, why are you like you are? You say, because I read the Word of God three hours a day. Good grief, nobody's got time to do that. I do. You know, that's like a guy walked up to me one time. I was finishing the brick on the front of my house. And I didn't quite have enough time to finish that one wall. And I called a young man that did brick. And he come out and I said, Son, while I'm finishing this other, what would you charge me to do that brick across the front right there? And he looked at it and he said, well, I'll do that for $300. I said, okay, that's reasonable. I said, just come after it and get after it. I said, by the way, son, are you a Christian? He stopped and he was dumbfounded. He said, well, yeah. I said, well, where do you go to church? He said, the, the First Baptist Church. I said, the First Baptist Church where? He says, in Justin. I said, well, that's strange. I go down there every Sunday morning, noon, and night, and I have never seen you. I've been going there for 15 years. So when do you go? He said, well, I've only really been twice. I said, so why didn't you come back? He said, well, I don't like that little preacher you all had down there about two or three years ago. He was one of them hellfire brimstone preachers, and I didn't like him. I said, gee, two years ago, that would have been Martin Knox. And I had ever heard every message he preached, and he ain't never preached a hellfire brimstone message. Never. So I said, I don't know where you're coming from. I said, is there anything else you don't like? He said, yes. 
I said, what is it? He said, when they pass that offering plate, I don't like to give my money to that preacher. I said, oh. I said, let me ask you a question, son. How is your business going right now? He said, well, it's not going very good. I said, well, that's exactly what I expected. I said, you're a rebellious son of God. He said, what? I said, yeah. I said, God tells you to be in church and He tells you to give 10% of everything you make in the Lord, at least 10%. He said, what? I said, you're under a curse and you're cursed with a curse because you've not attended to the Word of God. I said, the Lord tells you clearly in His Word to give Him at least 10% wherever you go to church. I said, now son, that's also the only place in the Word of God where Jesus said you can put me to the test. That's the only place in the Bible where God says, I will allow you to test me. But I said, with giving, he said, you repent of your sin and you start giving me 10% of everything you make and you try me, test me, see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't contain. I said, now son, I said, in 30 years, I said, do you want to be like you or like me? He said, what do you mean? I said, you see this beautiful house? You're going to finish a brick on the front? He said, yes, sir. I said, I didn't borrow any money to build that house. I paid cash for it. And I said, you see all this piece of land out here that I live on? He said, yes, sir. I said, I don't owe a penny on none of this. It's all paid for. I said, you see all these trucks and tractors and everything sitting around here? And these barns and buildings? He said, yes, sir. I said, all of them's paid for. I don't owe nobody a penny. Now, I said, do you want to be like me in 30 years or do you want to be like you broke in 30 years? He said, well, I want to be like you. I said, then you're going to have to do what I did. And I attended to the Word of God. I went to church. I served the king. I gave him at least a minimum of 10% of everything I made and many times much more than that. And I said, this is why that I am so blessed because I have been obedient to do what God said in His Word. He looked at me and said, Mr., I ain't never seen nobody like you. I said, you come to church and do what I tell you, and I guarantee God will bless you. The young man turned and walked off. The devil said, boy, have you made a fool out of yourself. He won't never go back to church. I said, devil, everything I told that young man come right out of the Word of God. So I know the Holy Ghost is going to convict him, and I'm not listening to you no more. Well, Sunday morning when I got to Bible study, guess who I saw walk in? That young man and his wife and their little daughter. And then when the service, we went into the worship service, they were in there. And then that night, Sunday night, they were back. But Wednesday night when they were there, I thought, whoa. Only those crazy, stupid Christians come that many times a week. Only them that really love God show up on Wednesday night or Tuesday night Bible study. I said, man, this is awesome. Well, every Sunday for about four Sundays, three or four Sundays, they were there. And about the third or fourth Sunday, as I'm walking in, of course, I was always kind of the last one. And when I come into that little Baptist church, we were getting overflowing. So, of course, Baptists, we always started to back and fill up to the front, you know. So there's never nobody on the front. So when I walked in, I had to walk all the way down the aisle, sit on the front row, because that was the only place that was open. I come down the aisle, and they were sitting about halfway down on the left side as I'm coming down. And I, I, I'm kind of paying attention, looking, just shape, saying hi to people as I walk down. 
And all of a sudden, I see this young man and his wife and her little girl sitting there, and then an older man and woman sitting right beside them. And all of a sudden, she taps her uh, daughter-in-law and, and says something, and she says, yes, and I didn't know what she's saying. And she comes over, gets out, and when she gets out, I don't have a clue what this woman's going to do. Maybe she's fixing to go outside. But she opens her arms up like this. And I thought, I can't get around this woman. What's the deal? And she grabs me right there in the middle of the church and squeezes me and says, You're what I've been waiting for all of my life. And I thought, Oh, God. Man, what have I done? She said, I have prayed for you for ever since my daughter married this boy. I have tried everything to get this boy in church. He would never listen. I don't know what you said to him. But said, he's been in church with my daughter every time the door's been open. Said, I've been praying for you. I didn't know who you was. But said, you're the answer to my prayer. I thought, wow, what a way to <laughs> welcome into church on Sunday morning. Now see, well, a year later, the young couple, actually the young man, came to me one afternoon, just about a year, maybe a year and a half later. And he said, Thurman, I am so glad that I met you that day. He said, do you know... That, that next, that Saturday when you asked me to do that brickwork on your house, when I went home and told my wife I'd met this kind of unique man, that told me some things about the Word of God. And so he said, the next morning I woke up and I said, Honey, how much money did we make this week? And she said, $110. Now, this is a man with his wife and a little girl. And this has been about 12 or 15 years ago, and he made $110 for a whole week. That's not a whole lot of money. He said, I want you to write a check for $11 and put it in that offering plate this morning. And she said, I almost passed out. She said, I had tried and tried to get him to let me give just a dollar. He said, no, I ain't giving no preachers my money. See, we've got the misconception of what we're doing with this money. But that morning, he said, write a check and put $11 in the offering plate. And he did. And he said, the very next week, our income doubled. And he said, we tithed off of that. And he said, Thurman, I think it was about a year and a half later. He said, you know, in the last year and a half, we have tithed faithfully every Sunday. I said, well, I know I've seen you every Sunday. I don't think you missed a Sunday since the... He said, no, we've been here every Sunday. He said, in the last year and a half, I've gone from making $100 a week to have making enough money to have bought my wife a nice car. I think it was four or five years old and said I paid cash for it. And said, I also have saved enough money. We paid all of our bills. I've added two men to my company. And he said, I've saved enough money to make a down payment on a new home in a year and a half. He said, I am so glad I met you. Now see, if you, as a daughter or son of God, have attended to the words of God, whenever you're confronted with the things of the world, you'll have the Word of God to present to them so the Holy Spirit can convict them. And then when they do what God says, guess what He's going to do for them? going to bless their socks off. Is that where we want to live? Absolutely. We all want to be blessed. Well, what did the king say? To be prosperous and successful, you had to do? Meditate on the Word of God 
day and night. Day and night. So how much do you want to be blessed? A little bitty bit? Or a whole lot? A whole lot. So guess what you're going to have to do? Meditate on the Word a whole lot. If you don't meditate on the Word and read the Word, and of course this is something that Cheryl has really tried to get me to do ever since we've been married. So, honey, you've got to get in the Word more, 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 more. She realizes the anointing, that's where it comes from, the Word. And she wants me to read and study the Word more and more and more. And it seems like the devil keeps me busy doing everything in the world. I just have to, once in a while, we're at the minister center. Uh, she's out there putting tapes together and turning, doing orders and duplicating stuff and printing stuff and everything else. I just slowly disappear and go to my office and turn on my computer and read and study and make outlines. Because, and I usually get the best studying in after 10 o'clock at night, you know, when there's not anybody out there. It's hard when you're trying to minister to people all day long to study the Word. You know, it's hard to do it. But, I mean, still, when you're in the Word, you're still learning things yourself, too. But we do that, you know, lots of that. We spend hours and hours a day with people trying to solve their problems from the Word of God. Now, if you haven't meditated on the Word and hid the Word in your heart, you can't help them. But if you have, the Word of God says it will bring long life and health to all your flesh. And then Psalms 107, verse 20. We'll move from Proverbs to Psalms. Psalms 107, verse 20 says, He sent His Word. He sent His Word. Now, how is the Word of God spoken in the earth today? Out of your mouth. Out of your mouth. He sent forth His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So, deliverance from demons is in the Word. Healing is in the Word. Now then, what if you don't know the Word? Well, you can be like I was for the first 45 years of my life. Every time the devil comes upon me to make me sick or afflict me, I hadn't meditated on the Word day and night. So by not meditating on the Word, I didn't know what the Word says. That's just like trying to be an engineer. Or an airline pilot, or a doctor, or a dentist. How many of you would like to go to the dentist, and the dentist, you say, I, I've got a tooth that I need filled. And the guy brings in a brand new recruit, and he says, now this guy's never filled a tooth. And I don't have time to stand here and watch him, but I'll let him read the book, so I'm going to let him fill your tooth. I, I'm sure you're going to sit there and let him fill your tooth, right? Not hardly. This guy, he ain't never filled a tooth, and he's just the only thing he's done is read the book. That'd just be like me riding with you in an airplane if all you've done is read the book. <laughs> I ain't going with you. You may get something out of reading the book, but you need some hands-on experience somewhere <laughs> with somebody there training you before I'm going to let you fill a tooth of mine. I guarantee you. But God sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Now then, if you know the Word, how do we get people healed in a healing school? With words. That's what we do. For four hours, we teach words. And as we teach words, we build their faith mountain high. And when they get to the level that they have heard with their ears and they can receive with their hearts, then the healing power of God flows into them. I made a statement the other day that blew Wendy away. She said, I've never heard this said like this. 
I said, you know, people come to a healing school and they're Christians and the healer is in them. He's already in you. But I said, he can't get out of you to heal your flesh because the conduit that's between where he is in your spirit and to the being is stopped up with nasty crud and sin. And so it can't flow out. But as you teach people to repent of their sins, every time they repent of a sin, they take a little handful of that black, nasty crud and throw it away. And so the pipe begins to get clean. When they get all of the sins repented, now they may get part of the sins repented, and a little of the healing power may begin to flow into you. And you may start getting well or start feeling well. But you can't seem to ever get to the point where you really want to be, where you're totally healed, and the manifestation is fully there. you still got that black crud in your pipe. So, as you find each one of those individual sins and take it out, you take that filth out of that pipe and you throw it away. When that pipe gets clean, when it's clean, then the healer which is in you flows right out into your flesh. And from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you are miraculously, wonderfully healed and made whole from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Now then, he said, if we walk in the Spirit, the blood of Jesus continuously cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Is that where we want to walk? Yes, because we've learned that when we put a little handful of crud in the pipe, it can bring sickness and disease to our body, can it? And we don't like that. Especially after you've learned to walk in divine health for a while, you get to where you learn you don't have to have this nonsense of sickness and disease. But you can't do the things God told you not to do and walk in divine health. You can't live in a place of anxiety. Because if you live in a place of anxiety, it will bring depression to you. Nobody wants to be depressed. You know, one of the way, another way to get rid of depression is jump up and start praising the king. Because Psalm, uh, uh, you know, Isaiah 61.3 says that spirit of praise drives away the spirit of heaviness. So if the depression begins to come up on you, make sure all of your anxiety is thrown away and then jump up and start praising and worshiping the king. And it will all... See, you've got to do it like the Word says. Now then, if you meditate on the Word, see, you learn these things meditating on the Word. So as you meditate on the Word, you're able to see what your problems is and you get rid of those sins or you clean out that conduit pipe between the Holy Ghost and your flesh and if there's nothing in there to restrict it, you can walk in divine health. Now, don't sin, because if you go out and sin, you're going to start put, filling that pipe up, restricting the flow of God out of you. And when you plug it up, that's when you start getting sick. Oh, well, I'm just going to hold a little bit of unforgiveness towards you, you know, for what you did to me today. I'm just going to hold a little bit of unforgiveness. Just a little bit? You just plugged up one side of the pipe. Tomorrow you say, well, I'm angry with him for what he did. That bitterness rises up in you. You just put another plug in there. First thing you know, the pipe stopped up. And then first thing you know, you start getting feeling bad. You start getting sick. You start getting headaches. You start getting everything. And you think, God, why me? It wasn't God's fault. It was your fault. He told you what to do, but guess what you didn't do? You didn't have His words hidden in your heart 
and you hadn't been attending to them, so you didn't know that this would bring sickness and disease. So you just carry those grudges, those unforgiveness, that strife, that anger. You go, go to bed angry. You do all kinds of things wrong, and all the time you're stopping up your pipe. And, of course, then when it gets plugged up, then all kinds of sickness and disease come to you, and that's why so many people can't get healed. Because they don't know. Just think, that man, that I definitely won't call his name, but that man a few years ago, that down there in, in Harris Methodist, whatever it was, down there in South Fort Worth, a great big uh, brown brick hospital, I think that's Harris Methodist or whatever it is, the family had already been called in and the children had already went in and said their goodbyes to Daddy. And today, Daddy's alive and well. You know, he's alive. So, which way we want it? What does the Word of God do? The Word of God brings health to your flesh. See, as he began to confess his sin, get rid of his unforgiveness toward his own children, things that do, he don't grudge against them. He didn't realize he's stopping up the pipe. Didn't realize he's putting a plug in there. Didn't realize that's stopping the flow of power of God out of him to heal him. And every time he did that, until he finally got it plugged up, and now he's on his deathbed dying. But how many men have I been to hospitals to do that with in the last 10 years? I don't even know. And there they lay, unforgiveness. Who do you hate the worst? My mother. I hate that woman with a passion. Ooh, you got to forgive her. No, I ain't going to forgive her. Then you're going to die. And you're going to go to hell. Is that where you want to go? Well, no. Well, then you got to forgive her. You mean it's that serious? Yeah. You want to get well? In fact, a man over in Garland, Baylor Medical, when I was asked to come there a few years ago, this guy was in his early 50s and had a tumor, had a tumor on his esophagus. And when I walked in and asked him, he had tubes all plugged down him and all kinds of stuff. He could talk a little. But I said, what did the doctor say? He said, the doctor said that this is the biggest tumor that they've seen in a long time. And if I don't have it taken off, in three months, I'll be dead. Two to three months. But he said, if they take it off, they only give me a zero to ten percent chance to come off the operating table alive. You like them odds, keep? No, not only. I don't like them either. Not at all. Zero to ten? Give me a break. I mean, I don't, first of all, I don't even want a chance to go in there for surgery. But if I'm going to do surgery and the doctor says zero to ten to come off the operating table alive, forget this. So I told him, I began to check out his life. And I, when I got the unforgiveness, I mean, he had it. I asked him that question, who do you hate the worst? And you know what his answer was? My mother. My mother. I said, sir, I don't know what your mother's done to you, and I really don't care. But I said, that's why you're laying on your deathbed, because of your stupid decisions in life. As a Christian, you made some wrong ones, and you've made some serious wrong ones. I said, now then, God's merciful and gracious. I said, if you will forgive your mother and all these other people that you've named, I'm going to guarantee you God will take your credit card. I said, because you can't get out of here and go to those people. He'll take your credit card. You make God a promise that you will do that. And I said, He will heal you. And then when you get out here and get well, then you go to them people and get right. He said, Lord, I'll do that. He said, Father, I didn't realize. He said, please forgive me. I had to lead him in the prayer because he'd been out of church, so he didn't really know how to pray the prayer. But I prayed that prayer of faith for that man that night, 
And then as I prayed the prayer of faith for that man, laid hands on him and everything, after I got through laying hands on him, rebuking the devil, commanded it to come out of him, all of a sudden when I got through, the Lord spoke out of my mouth. I have had this happen very few times in my life. But with that man, I didn't know this man. I had never seen him before that night. I came at his son-in-law's request because his son-in-law knew me. And I went over there. And as I got through praying for him and getting all his sins repented of, this came out of my mouth. Tomorrow you will go through your surgery. And I don't give you a zero to ten, but I give you a hundred percent chance of recovery. In three weeks you will go home from this hospital. And in two months you will go back to work. And as long as you walk in a love relationship to everybody, I will let you live to be an old man. And I thought, wow, where did that come from? That startled me. And I thought, well, I just kind of quietly dismissed myself and walked out the corridor. But that man had repented, and the next day he went through eight hours of surgery. A week later, his son-in-law asked me to come back to see him because he said, My father-in-law wants to see you. I went back over there. When I walked in, a doctor was there. I was talking to the doctor. I said, Well, how'd the surgery go? The doctor said, This was the largest tumor we have ever taken off of an esophagus. We have never seen anybody live with a tumor this big. But he said, it's like our hands were divinely guided. That was his words. It's like our hands were divinely guided. And I thought to myself, that man does not realize what he just said is a true statement. God was divinely guiding those men's hands. He was not going to miraculously heal him without surgery. Because of his faith and because of his sin. But once he repented, the Lord allowed the surgery to happen. He did heal him. And about a year later was the last time I contacted him. And I asked him how he was doing. He said, Thurman, I'm doing wonderful. I said, did you learn anything about unforgiveness? He said, there's not anything anybody can ever do to get me in unforgiveness again. That's a pretty bad place to go to after the Lord, though, is it not? Pretty serious. On your deathbed. On your deathbed. But he got well. And as far as I know, of course, he's still well. But as the Lord says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them. How did he send his word to that man? Through me. I took his word because what had I done to God's word over the years? I had attended to it. I had meditated on it. I had hid it in my heart. And I was able to take that word to that man and teach him the truth of God's Word and see Him repent and see God healing. See, so many people want to just walk in. They want to walk into somebody laying in a hospital on a deathbed and walk up and just lay their hand on their shoulder and say, Be healed in the name of Jesus. And you know why that fails about 90% of the time? Once in a while, somebody will get healed when you do that. But about, I don't know what percentage, but a large percentage because you didn't find out what their sin was and then you didn't build their faith. God expects those people to have faith. If they're his children, for sure. Now, if those people are not his children, your chances, if you're really strong in faith, your chances of getting those people healed are very good. Very good. It's much, much higher for a non-believer because God's not holding their sins against them at this point. He's not holding man's sins against them until they get saved. Isn't that amazing? Well, somebody said, well, gee, then I'm not ever going to become a Christian. But when you die, then that's when he holds them all against you, see. 
all any time during the process, he's not holding them against you. So if you come to Christ, he makes you the righteousness of God in Christ and washes all your past sin away. No problem. But somebody said, well, gee, I'm just going to live like a sinner and do what I want to. Then I won't have to worry about it. Yep. And then one day, you come to the end of your life, the devil kills you, and bam, and you go immediately go to hell. And you don't want to go there. Because that's when he holds you accountable for every idle word you've ever spoken in your life. And, of course, as we read and discussed when we were talking about the five crowns, not all people that go to hell will go into the same place. There is different temperatures and different places of torment in hell. But I don't know whether it would be worse to be in three million degrees or one million degrees. It's all going to be burning, fiery hell, you know, with a bunch of demons running in and out and tormenting the fool out of you all day long. I don't see anything in any of that I like. You know, so I'd a whole lot rather come to Jesus and get saved get to go to heaven, hadn't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. So he says, and in verse 21 of Psalm 107, 21 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. Isn't it amazing? The goodness of God and, and for His wonderful works to the children of men. I mean, those were some wonderful works Jesus did for that one man. But you know, we see Him do things like this all the time for us. You know, all kinds of wonderful things. We can get up in the morning and it's so easy. In fact, I walked up to the grocery store in Justin the other day. I needed a few little things. We hadn't had any rain in Justin in a month or maybe two months. It's been hot and dry. And it was cloudy and lightly raining. And the woman there said, look, look at that terrible weather. I said, ma'am, I've been praying for that weather. That's wonderful weather. Oh, she said, well, I guess we do need some rain, don't we? I said, yes, ma'am, we definitely need some rain. You know, thank goodness there's some of us that worship and praise the King. Well, this morning, we really had a gully washer out there this morning. I don't know if y'all got any rain, but at the minister center this morning, I mean, I was out there early this morning, and I'm telling you, it started raining about 9 o'clock. We was fixing to go get a piece of equipment, do some work, and it started raining, and then it started thundering, it started lightning, and I mean, water come in, blowed in. It blo- I mean, we got a great big cover over the front door, double door, but it blowed in, blowed under the door, and blowed, I guess, 15 feet up, and Rosemary and me and... Rick, we were out there with mops and mopping the place and squeegeeing water back out the front door and everything. I mean, it was blowing like, I mean, it was really raining. Wow, did we get a nice rain. I mean, the grass will grow, but to me, that wasn't bad weather. That I've been praying for that rain. Did anybody else in this Dallas Metro get any rain today? Some of you did? Yeah, some of you got... Amen. Well, I'll tell you, I've been praying for it too, but we got a good one at Justin this morning. Praise the Lord. But see, oh, that men would praise the Lord. You know, if we needed something from God like rain, if we'd spend a little more time worshiping and praising and thanking Him, instead of saying, oh, good grief, look at that bad brother out there this morning. He said, oh, you think that beautiful rain I'm sending, you're going to grumble and complain about that? Well, let me just take it away then. And then we're out there grumbling and complaining because it's too hot the grass won't grow. So he says, I can't please you children. Nothing I do. Yeah. That, you know, they're kind of like me. I know none of y'all are like that but me. I think every one of us has a little bit of that in us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we can 
be so hard to please in everything we do. You know? Buy you a brand new Lexus and hand it to you and you say, Good grief, it's dirty. Couldn't you have washed it before you brought it to me? Have you seen where I'm coming from? Or at least filled it up with gas? Good grief, what do you think I am? (laughs) Are we that way, Sharon? To a degree we are, aren't we? I am. (laughs) You ain't going to go there. (laughs) Grumbling and complaining. We all do too much of it. I do. I guarantee you. I'm trying my best to not do that. But I'm a human being. Unfortunately, I'm glad you all are not. But at least I am. I'll just have to admit it. Then he says, And after we're supposed to worship and praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works, and let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing, hear and be healed. Hear and be healed. How do you receive healing from the Lord? From His Word. You hear it. And it flows into you. And when it becomes a revelation to you, when you hear His words, what happens when you hear His word and believe them, Sharon? Bam! I mean, bam! It happens just like that, doesn't it, girl? Wow! Thirty years of pain gone in one heartbeat. Heard and believed. Isn't that awesome? It is so awesome. Wow! I think about Sharon. January will be her second anniversary pain-free, right? After 30 years of pain. I mean, that girl was injured in a car wreck. In, where was it? In Houston or somewhere, Sharon? A Longview, Texas, 30 years ago. And the devil came into her back in that trauma and had been tormenting her for 30 years. And she had been prayed for by 100 people, but nothing happened because she didn't do it God's way. But the day she came to a healing school and heard the word and received the word and repented of all of her sins and came to God on behalf of His word and in thanking for healing her back, she was instantly healed just like that. And in January, it'll be two years ago. And let me tell you, them last two years have been better than them last 30, hadn't they? No comparison. Woo! I'm hear the word and be healed. And He sent forth His word and healed you just like He will anybody else that'll listen. He is, he is no respecter of persons. Everybody has to do it the same way. You have to believe and have to repent of your sins. Now then, somebody said, well, yeah, I realize I've got this little sin over here that I so love, but God don't know I'm doing this, so I'm not going to repent of this. (laughs) Paul calls those your little besetting sins. And guess what they'll do? They will keep you, that'll keep your conduit pipe plugged up. And you will not be able to receive his healing. You must repent of sins. And then when you do, your conduit pipe is clean. In fact, standing right there one night, a lady had unforgiveness toward her own husband. She would not repent. She had felt like she'd having a heart attack. And I told her she'd had it for weeks. And I, whenever I started to pray for her, I asked her if she had her sins repented of. And they'd been through the whole service. And her husband had his repented of. But she said, I think I have mine repented of. And I said, well, ma'am... Thinking doesn't really get it done. You need to know so. So she looked over at me and says, Okay, I know so. I said, Now, ma'am, you can tell me anything, but I'm not the healer. Jesus is, and He knows everything. So I reached up and laid my hands on her shoulders and started to pray for her. And the instant I touched her, 
the Lord knocked me off of her. I mean, just bam, I jumped back like this, like I'd been shocked. And he said, unforgiveness. I said, whoa. I said, ma'am, you got unforgiveness. I said, do you know who it's against? She said, yes. I said, see, there's that little besetting sin. She thought she was hiding from God. But you can't hide nothing from the Holy Ghost. She said, yes. I said, who is She said, my husband. I said, well, I don't want to know what he did. It don't make a difference to me, but you've got to forgive him. She said, no, I am never going to forgive him. I said, ma'am, let me ask you a question. Is what he done to you worth you dying and going to hell forever for? And she said, well, no. I said, I didn't think so. I said, do you know if you don't forgive, the Lord says he will not forgive you. And if he don't forgive you, do you realize you can't get into heaven unless you're forgiven? And she said, well, nobody ever explained it to me like that. I said, well, does that make it a little easier to forgive him? She said, yes. I said, well, will you ask the Lord to forgive you? First of all, ask your husband to forgive you. And she turned and said, honey, will you forgive me? I forgive you. And he said, of course. And then I said, ask the Lord. And so she asked the Lord. And when she did, immediately God spoke to me. I heard him, his voice a second time. He said, son, tell my daughter, now that she's been obedient to do what I told her, you don't have to pray for her. I've already healed her heart. So I looked up at her and I said, ma'am, the Lord just told me your heart pain's gone. So she said... Then she fell profusely crying on her husband's chest and said, He's right. There's no pain. Now, isn't it wonderful when you do what God says? Isn't He so wonderful? But see, He's no respect your persons. It makes no difference who you are. If she's holding unforgiveness, that woman cannot be forgiven and she cannot be healed because her conduit's plugged up. But when she forgave, she blew it out, cleaned it out, and the power of the Holy Spirit, which is already in her, flowed right into her. Bam, she's instantly healed. Now, what did she hear that day that changed everything? The Word. What did He say He sent forth and healed her? The Word. How did we get the Word to her? Our tongue. Isn't it amazing what you can do with that tongue? Life and death is in the power of the tongue. That's so amazing what we can do with words. But everything was made and formed with words. So be careful with your words. Your words will either destroy or your words will build up and edify. So be careful with your words. Now then, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10 makes this statement about words. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy. Now, wait a minute, let's stop in there. How, after what we've studied, how do you make the heart of a person fat? What is their heart? Their spirit. How do you make the spirit or the heart fat? You feed it what? The Word. You feed it the Word. When you feed it the Word, it says, Make the heart or the spirit of this people fat. In other words, by feeding them the Word. And make their ears heavy. Make their ears heavy? How do you make their ears heavy? You read the Word to them. I mean, they're listening. And... Shut their eyes, lest they see with their ears, or eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. In other words, if you hear the Word, if you see it, and hear it, and believe it, and convert, or repent from your sins, what's going to happen? 
you're going to get healed. Just like Sharon did. That's exactly what she did. That's exactly what all of you have done. All of you that have gotten healed, that have been to a healing school, every one of you have done it that same way. You know, you have heard, you have repented, and you have believed the Word of God. And you got healed. That's the way it works. So there's the answer in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Then Luke 5, 15 says in Luke 5, 15, But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear. What did they come to do to hear? I mean, what did they come to hear? Jesus. What was Jesus telling them? The Word of God. He was building their faith. He was a preacher or a teacher and the best there's ever been on the earth. And so much of the time, he used stories or parables so they could understand it so simply. And that's the way we need to do it. We need to use simple things, simple stories, simple examples so that even the little children can understand how to be healed. I think about the little children that have come to healing schools. I couldn't even tell you how many children have been to healing schools from three or four or five years old that have sat through four grueling hours of teaching God's Word, listening to the examples, and are sitting back there on the edge of their seats spellbound. And you think, wow, you, they got to be getting something. I mean... In fact, a little girl came up to me the other day and it blew me away. She come running up there and she grabbed a hold of my pants and I looked down. She's down, down here. I looked down and I said, yes, honey. She said, Mr. Scrivener, I don't know how old she is. She's about this tall. She said, Mr. Scrivener, we used to go to a church where the preacher talked 15 minutes and it, sound, it seemed like two hours. She said, we come over here and you talk two hours and it seems like 15 minutes. Hallelujah. I thought, wow, that little girl's getting something, you know it. That's awesome. She was listening. The stories were intriguing. She was learning. And when she was leaving, and I think about the little girls and the little boys that have come up, like Cody, you know, that couldn't eat anything. And I, I prayed, I rebuked the devil in him. I mean, it was so easy. He was six years old. I mean, he stands up in a chair. He's only this tall. Come up, rebuke the devil over the little guy. He come running up here after he said, Mr. Scrivener, I can't eat anything without having enzymes or I throw up. I said, this is a demon, son. I said, would you like me to cast him out? He said, yes, sir. I heard you say we have all power and all authority over demons. And you said Jesus said that. So if Jesus said that, that's good enough for me. He said, you kicked them devils out of me and I'm healed. He's six years old. I kicked the devil out. Laid the man and I said, you devil hell, come out of him. I said, it's done. I said, now you got to believe, Cody. He said, I heard you say that too. i got to believe with no doubt. He said, that means I don't take my medicine, don't it? I said, that's what that means. So he runs off playing. Mom and Daddy come up here in the little one and say, Cody, come over here. We want Pastor Thurman to pray for you. He said, oh, Mom, he's already cast the devil out of me. I'm healed. No, no, no. You've got to do it with us, son. He said, no, Mom. I was up there first. It's done. She really gets upset at Cody. Cody, he said, no, Mom, I'm healed. It's okay. Okay, Mom and Daddy leave. Mom is not very happy with her six-year-old son. So they go home and they eat supper and they fix supper and they eat. And she said, here, Cody, here's your enzymes. He said, Mama, I don't need them. Jesus has healed me. The faith of a child. She said, look, Cody, I, every time you don't take that for six years now, I've been cleaning up vomit. And I am absolutely fed up to here with you today. Either you take this medicine or if you throw up, I'm going to bust your bottom. He said, that's okay, Mama. 
I'm going to trust Jesus, but I ain't going to take that medicine. And that little boy has been back to the healing school several times in the last few years and given his testimony. And so you've seen him, haven't you, Sharon? Comes and jumps up in a chair and he eats anything he wants and he has never been sick again. And, of course, Mama always says, well, he's eating us out of house and home now, you know. He's about eight, nine, what it is now. And he's eating everything. And also the little boy's faith got so high that whenever his mother came one time, I don't know, I guess it was a year or so later, she said, my son's faith has grown so much. She said, the other day, I had a great big boil come up on my side. And said, the next day I had two of them there. So I called the doctor. And I made an appointment. And Cody heard me. said, mother, what did you call that doctor for? Well, son, look at this big old, these two big boils on my side. I, I, I'm, I've got to go have them checked. He said, Mother, what did you not understand? And what Pastor Thurman said, those are just demons and we have all power over them. He said, Mama, I'll cast them devils out of you. A little seven-year-old boy goes over and lays his hand on his mama and says, You devil, you ain't going to have my mama. He said, You come out of her. And go to the pit and don't you come back. Said, now, Mama, you're healed because Jesus said so. And he runs off in place. And Mama said, in one hour, those things were half the size. She called and canceled her doctor's appointment. And the next morning when she woke up, she said, both of them were completely gone. And that's the faith of a little seven-year-old boy. And we've heard her tell that testimony at a healing school a couple of times. Some of you may have heard her. But it's amazing, isn't it? Now, if we all could become little children, and still, me and Keith were talking about this earlier, it's, it's kind of hard for us big boys to become those little children. We want to be the big guys, you know. No, we've got to become little children. And when we do, we believe God's Word, and when we do, He shows up for us. Amen. Just like He did little Cody. Cody walked in faith. There he was, six years old, setting up through a four-hour healing school, and that little boy was listening to every word I was saying and absorbing them, and he got healed. And we've seen lots of children healed like that, lots of them. God sent forth his word and healed them because if they will open their ears and their eyes, see and hear, they will be healed. Now, it says there in Luke 5:15 where we were at, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear, and after they heard, to be healed by him of their infirmities. You've got to hear the word first. You hear the word. Did you know that if you, don't, if you get a bunch of Christians, and nobody's been taught the word, and you go over and start praying for people, do you know... You know what your results will be? Like, for instance, us in a Baptist church where I used to be years ago, we had no knowledge of the healing power of Jesus. We'd never been taught, so we didn't know what faith was. We thought we did, but we really didn't. We didn't have a clue. And so when we prayed for people at Wednesday night prayer meeting, did we ever get to see a miracle? Absolutely not. They, they were non-existent. Do we ever get to see anything we even thought was a healing that didn't come from the doctor? No. We prayed. But you know what we expected when we prayed? Zero. That's exactly right. Nothing. And so God's not moved by that. He's moved by faith. 
You know, now you take a bunch of us Baptists down there, you know, and we're laying hands on each other. Oh, God, Sister Cheryl here, she's got a headache, Lord. Please, if it be your will, will you heal her? He's up there on his throne, sitting there. He's asleep. Once in a while, he takes a drink of iced tea. You know, this ain't moving him. I mean, this is not moving him at all. But you take some crazy guy. Cheryl's got a headache. Come out of her, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, because it is written. The Lord said, Woohoo! That's one of my boys that believe me. Go down to the Holy Spirit and knock that devil out of that headache out of her. And when he takes his hand off, she says, Woo! It's gone. See? Now, the Lord, he moved by faith, but he's not moved by that passivity stuff. I don't move the king's hand. If you really want to see him do something, you get wild and violent with his word. And you get to see him do some awesome things. Now, some of y'all have, I mean, talk about wild and violent. Some of y'all heard me tell the story about how when Cheryl walked in here a while back and she had to sing to 1,200 people that night, and she walked in, she couldn't hardly whisper. She walked to me, I was back here working on a computer or something. She said, Honey, you got to do something. I got to sing tonight, and I can barely whisper. I just jumped up. Reached up and grabbed her around the neck and shook her about three times, screaming, Come out of her, you devil of hell. Now, some of you would have walked in and seen that. You would have attacked me said, He's killing his wife. That's what you would have thought if you would have seen me. Yeah, but I turned her loose and she said, Oh, thank you, honey. And she sang beautiful that night. See, you got to get rough with the devil. See, the Lord knew the battle we were fighting. I mean, I mean, she knew, she knew. I mean, she knew where she could get the answer. So she'd come in. Honey, you got to do something. i got to sing to 1,200 people tonight and I can barely whisper. Well, now who in the world could slip in and do that to your voice? I said, devil, of course. So, if we have that all power over the devil, how much? So what do we not understand about all? He said, in these signs shall follow them believe. In my name you shall cast out devils. So, you kick the devil out. You have to get a little forceful with him sometimes. And when you do, and then your lovely bride can say, oh, praise God. Now she goes out and sings to 1,200 people. Isn't that amazing? Power and authority belongs to the church. He's given it to us. He doesn't expect us. He's given us all these magnificent promises. Now then... In chapter 6 of Luke 17, And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him. To hear him. He's preaching and teaching. And after they heard him, and to be healed of their diseases. So see, this is where I got the idea for a healing school. Everybody come to Jesus to hear Him, to teach healing. And after He taught the power and authority, then He laid hands on them after they had repented and drove out the devils and people got healed. And it works exactly the same today. We've seen it right here in these healing schools. In fact, this Saturday, we're going to have another one. This Saturday, right here at 1 o'clock from 1 to 5, we will be having a healing school. We have one the second Saturday of every month. We have people come to those healing schools from all over the country. Last time, last month when we had one here, I said, then 
I walked up to a man. I said, where are you from, sir? He said, well, I'm, I'm probably the furthest one away from, any, from anybody that's come to this healing school. I said, where are you from? He said, Arkansas. I said, Arkansas? I said, anybody further from Arkansas? The guy back there said, I'm from Portland, Oregon. The guy over here said, well, we're from California. Another one over said, we're from Phoenix, Arizona. I thought, wow, you're close. You're close. But people come from everywhere, you know. Although we never have a very big crowd, you know, we've never had the room more than full. And that's, I guess that's okay. I wouldn't care how many come. But all I know is we don't advertise it or anything. But what happens is people come and then we get these letters. Wow, I came to your healing school and I was healed and I had this or I had this or I had scars. You prayed and they're gone. So guess what they do? They tell their friends. They tell their neighbors. They tell their in-laws. And then they come next month or the next month or whatever. And they come, and Jesus heals them. How, does, how do we get it done? With words. Yes. Is that the way we get it done, Sharon? You've been to a lot of them. You know how we get it done. You have been to many a healing school. I mean, I will have to say that many a person, several people, some of you are in this room, that have been to many of the healing schools, and some of you were miraculously healed at a healing school. Yes. So... Those of you that did get miraculously healed at a healing school, you want to continue to hide word in your heart so you don't never open the door to another demon. And every healing school is a little different, isn't it, Sharon? I never teach the same one. And you know that. You've been to several of them. But that's what we do. We teach the Word of God as the Holy Spirit moves upon me to teach you what it says. And then, of course, He heals as they hear the word, then they get healed. Now then, let's look at some examples here about where parents must have faith for their children. And these words and these things we're talking about, let's look at a few examples here and let's go to Mark chapter 5 verse 22. Now then, children can hear on their own, but if they're young children, many times the parents have come to me and they come to a healing school and they have me pray for their children and their children are not able to come and their children get healed. I mean, I think about this woman that got one of our tapes one time. And of course, now, you have to realize when I say these kind of things, I'm not condemning you. I'm just a man of faith and I expect more than most people expect. A mother had gotten some of our teachings and she'd listened to them and she called me. And she said, Mr. Scrivener, I want you to pray the prayer of faith for my 10-year-old daughter. She's on a critical list for a kidney, or no, a liver it was, a liver. And said, we must have this liver within the next few days or they say my 10-year-old daughter's going to die. I said, ma'am, do you and your husband have all of your sins repented of? Are you serving the Lord? Well, she said, we do have now. She said, we've been listening to your tapes. We didn't realize the importance of walking in obedience to God's Word. But yes, we've repented. We're, we're serving the Lord. We've repented of every sin. So she said, I want you to pray the prayer of faith so my daughter will get a liver in time for surgery. I said, no. No. Sir! I said, ma'am, I don't want your daughter to go through surgery. Now that you've repented, I'm going to rebuke the devil and ask the Lord to rebuild the one she's got. And that would be a whole lot less expensive and a whole lot less pain for your daughter. Don't you agree? I don't want to pray for her to get a liver and have to go through 
10 hours of transplant and then have to go through lifelong rejection drugs. You know, that's not God. You know, but sometimes that's all the faith people can have. You know, but hey, He can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can think or imagine. So start thinking outside the box. Amen. Is that the way you should do it? Amen. Of course. So she said, well, I never thought about that. So, so I said, now that you all repented, I rebuke that devil of hell. I said, I have power over him. And I rebuke him according to Luke 10, 19, and 20. I command that beast to leave your daughter. I said, now, Father, according to John 14, 13, you said anything I ask from you in the name of Jesus, you'll do. So I said, Lord, I ask you now that I've driven, driven the devil out. I ask you to move inside that little girl's body and completely restore and make that liver like brand new in the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. I said, ma'am, your daughter will get well. And she ain't going to have to have a liver. About six weeks later, I get a letter from her. Four or five pages. She said, Mr. Scrivener, within an hour after you prayed the prayer of faith, a liver came in. I thought, well, God is going to answer his prayer, but it's going to be different than he prayed. So she said, I was so thankful. A liver came in within an hour. Now, this sounds just like the devil. They run her in there to do the surgery. They prep her, cut her open... And look inside of her, and there's not anything wrong with her liver. They sew her back up, and the doctor does not understand what happened. But we never dreamed of making a test. But he said, in an hour after you prayed the prayer, my daughter's liver was completely whole. But we didn't know it. The liver came in. That devil, he's going to get a hole cut in that little girl. I said, if we're going to pray the prayer of faith, that that thing's going to heal up without a scar just to defy the devil. Yes, you see, doesn't that sound just like the devil? Yes. I pray the prayer of faith, God heals it. And he said, I've got to get a liver over there quick. Before they've got time to check her, before she starts feeling good. So they'll rip her open, and then they'll look in there, and there ain't nothing wrong. It's perfect. Oh. So she had to go through a little minor surgery. You know, cut her open, a little hole about this long, and stitch her back up, probably 10 or 15 stitches. But if they'd have just checked her, it, God had already healed it. Isn't he awesome? She was 10. She was 10 years old. Yeah. But see, the woman wanted me to pray the prayer of faith for her liver. That's where she could bleed. No. No. I ain't going to pray. I'm not going to pray nothing to get a doctor to do something on you. I'm going to ask God to do something beyond the doctor. You know? There ain't no faith in believing God for a doctor to come in and cut you and put a new liver in you and be on rejection drugs the rest of your life, is there, Don? No. Let's rebuke that devil, get the sin repented of, rebuke the devil and pray the prayer of faith and let the king move in and heal that liver and let the little girl get up and go home. She said, I waited this long, six weeks, to write you the letter because I wanted to really see how my daughter's going to be. And she said, she's running and playing perfectly healed. Hadn't had any more trouble with that liver. See, they didn't have a clue. It was their sin that opened the door to the failure of their daughter's liver. But they also didn't have a clue since they hadn't attended to the Word of God. They didn't know what the promises were. So when they did hear the tapes and they did repent, they didn't realize that took the devil's legal right away. And then after I rebuked the devil and commanded him to leave and prayed the prayer of faith, the Lord moved right in after all sin was taken care of. And he just healed that little girl within an hour. Isn't that amazing what God will do when you do something in faith? I love to see Him do these things in faith, don't you? Ooh, I love it. Can you tell what the parent's sin was? No. No. 
it's, it's, it's amazing what we do. Well, the, the sins. Seven, it says that adultery causes the liver to be pierced. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it says. Yeah, I know. Yep. And unfortunately, these are a lot of the time. What yeah. does it? Yeah. See, we read it, but we don't believe that, do we? Yeah. But it is there. But if you read the Word of God, you'll learn. You know, I forget now where it was. A while ago, I was reading in Proverbs on the way over here. I forget what sin it was that caused rottenness of the bones. Bitterness. Bitterness. I believe that's what it's. Bitterness or strife caused rottenness of the bones. That's in Proverbs 2. Yeah, yeah. So if you're in constant bitterness against people and your bones start getting soft and breaking and falling apart, that's why. Because you have bitterness. You know, so don't go there. Walk in love. And therefore, your bones get strong. You know, who wants to, who wants to have uh, weak bones and crooked ones and everything? Walk in love the best you can. Now then he says, on this example here about parents having faith for their children, this woman had faith, but here's where you get some of these examples, like Mark 5. We've got just about five minutes. We're going to quit. Mark chapter 5 and verse 22. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now, this is not just a little nobody. This guy's a big guy in the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Now then, I don't care how big a boy you are, you're still a child. And a child of God, which is you and me, we should humble ourselves and fall at the feet of God. Now, I have no problem doing that. Absolutely none whatsoever. No problem falling at the feet of the Savior. And in verse 23, And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter, my little daughter, lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Is his confession right? Mm -hmm. It sure is. He's saying the right things. Lay your hands on my daughter, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and many people followed him, and they thronged him. People all over the place. While he yet spoke, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain people which saith, Your daughter is dead. Well, that's it. If they tell you they're dead, that's it. No, we can't go beyond that. But Jesus said, and they said, Why trouble the master any further? Your daughter is dead. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, how quick did he retaliate? How quick did he retaliate against those words of death? Immediately. Immediately. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto them, or unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. How many of you have seen that video back there on Betty Baxter? Is that a powerful testimony? If you haven't seen that testimony we taped off of Daystar, you need to get a DVD of Betty Baxter. We do have some, don't we, honey? On the back side. On the very back side, on the DVD rack. That little girl, when she was 10 or 11 years old, had been born with all kinds of crippling diseases, arms locked, legs twisted locked, Big knots on her head, neck all pulled down, enlarged heart, intestines out of place, everything else. Doctor said there is nothing, nothing, nothing can save that little girl. 
And everybody in the family gave up except mother. And then this very thing right here happened. Just like we just got through reading in Mark chapter 5. The doctor said, Miss Baxter, you can quit believing now. Betty has just passed away. And she said, no. My Jesus cannot lie. He made me promises. He said, if I don't doubt, he will answer my prayer. Well, little Betty walked across the valley of the shadow of death and walked up to Jesus, and there he stood, and he held up his hand and said, Betty, you cannot come in. You must go back because of your mother's prayers. Isn't that amazing? If you haven't seen that video, you need to get it. You need to get that. You talk about a faith builder. I'm going to tell you, before that's over, you're going to get to hear in that video what Jesus did for little Betty Baxter when she was about 11 years old, an incurable little girl. And today, that woman is a grown, beautiful woman still going across this country preaching the Word of God with power and authority. And there ain't nothing wrong with her. Ain't no locked arms. There ain't no knots on her body. There ain't no enlarged heart, no out-of-place intestines. She's a beautiful woman. And she was instantly healed when she was about 10 or 11 years old, the king himself walked into the, into the house and he told him he was going to do it at 3 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. He told him when he was going to do it. So they invited the church, invited the pastor. Can you imagine a pastor of a church getting an invitation? Come to our house this afternoon after church at 3 p.m. Jesus is going to be there. He's going to heal my invalid daughter. Uh, well, you know, I think I've got to go to the baseball game this afternoon. Or I've got a little something. If we have a chat, we might come. Give me a break. I mean, if somebody that, if I hear something like Keith, I'm going, ain't you? I'm going. Well, let me tell you, nearly nobody believes that. A few people went, but not many. But a few. And those few that went got to see before their eyes the most spectacular thing, one of the most magnificent events that's happened in this last century. Betty Baxter was instantly healed right before their very eyes. A little girl that couldn't stand, couldn't walk, couldn't do nothing. Jesus reached in there and squeezed her heart, moved it, her intestines, knocked all them knots off of her body, jumped out of the chair, and her arms came loose, her legs came loose, and there she was, completely, totally healed, right in front of everybody's eyes. Would you like to have been there, Sharon? Oh, would I like to have been there. Goodness gracious, alive. That would be so awesome. Let me tell you, what made that happen? A parent's faith for their little child. Right here is one of the places in the Word of God where the Lord says we can have faith for our children. In fact, we must have faith for our children. And I've had many a person come here to a healing school that had faith for their children. Some of them bring the picture of the child and say, my child can't come. They're sick or they're in Cook's Medical Center. What? Will you pray over this child? And I have done that and seen the king raise them up and heal them miraculously. Why did he do it? Because of my faith and the mother or the daddy's faith. The child didn't even know what was going on. I went to Cook's Medical Center one time when a little boy, about 12 years old, was on his deathbed with terminal cancer and his grandmother knew me and called me and asked me if I would go down there. I went and found that mother and father. I got all their sins repented of and I walked into that hospital room and the day I was there, they had just given this little boy a chemo treatment and they wouldn't let me touch him. I said, can I touch the cover on top of him? 
And they said, as long as you don't touch his skin. They just brought him out of some kind of high-powered treatment. So I reached up and lay my hands on that little cloth on his leg. I said, ma'am, is this okay for me to touch him right here? She said, that'll be okay right there. Don't push down very hard. I said, okay. I spent just a few minutes explaining to the young man what faith was. I said, now, when your mother and father have got their sins repented of, when I touch you, Jesus Christ is going to heal you because he said in his word for me to drive out this devil and lay my hands on you and he will heal you. I said, do you believe that? He said, Mr. Scrivener, if Jesus said it in the word, that's good enough for me. And I touched him and within a few days that boy is home and today that boy is playing football. He is a perfectly normal, healthy boy. If we would only believe this magnificent book. Hide these words in your heart. The parents have to have faith for the children. If the parents or the grandparents, this was a grandparent in this case. She had faith for her little 10 or 11 year old grandson. It was her son's baby. And although they went to church, it was amazing. For two or three years after that, every time I would see them, he'd say, Thurman, it's amazing that our son was miraculously healed when you did that. I said, well, y'all go to church all the time. I said, don't you see any healings or miracles in your church? He said, never. Never. What's wrong with the church? What is wrong with us? They don't believe the Word. We're not, that's right, honey, we're not attending to the Word. How, where do you think I learned these things, Sharon? In the Word. In the Word. Spending time with God in the Word. It's right there. Read it. Meditate on it. Think of it. What's he saying? Now, don't read this book like a novel. You sit down and read this book and you meditate on every word and hang on those words. What's he saying? And that's how you get revelation. And he will do great and mighty things for you. Praise the King. Since this is Tuesday night Bible study, before we close, do we have any questions? I would be happy for a few minutes here to answer some questions. If anybody has one, uh, get a mic so we can hear it. Question. There you go. With the grandparent and the child, did you have to get the parents? Is that what you said? You had to go find the parents and get their sins confessed first? You can't skip that? Oh, yeah. If it's a grandparent, you can't supersede that? If the grandparent comes to you, then from there, the first step is to find the parents. Okay. And you really need both of them. And both of them need to be walking in obedience to God's Word. Because it's a little bit more difficult if you've got a mother and a father that's having trouble and or he's out running around or whatever, you're messing around on his wife, it's just virtually impossible to get those kind of children healed. So you need to find the parents. You need to make sure they realize that their sin is what's making their children sick. Now, a lot of the church has a real problem with that. A real problem with that. But the Word of God says the sins of the parents are passed to the children to the third and the fourth generation. And how many times... I mean, I have, I have prayed for so many children in the last 10 years that people had prayed for or I had prayed for and could not get anything done until I began to learn about this principle about getting sins confessed. And when I learned that, and then I started getting the parents to confess their sins, their unforgiveness or the man and woman stop doing what they're doing or the husband's running around on the wife or whatever, all kinds of sins, But when I got those sins repented and make sure they stopped it, 
Then I prayed for some of those children and seen some of those children instantly healed. Instantly. That just, that's awesome. You know, so don't see it. Any other questions? Any questions? Oh, we've got one back here. I don't really have a question, but I have a testimony that, I'm sorry we were late, but um, the testimony was about the Word of God that you had taught me to pray over my children. And about a month ago, my daughter was driving um, down near a lake with a friend. They were going to the lake house. And about 2 o'clock that afternoon, I had a vision flash before me that they were going to be in a massive car accident. And I started praying immediately, and I took authority. I rebuked, commanded Satan to be away from them. I pleaded the blood of Jesus over them. And I sent warring angels around them in Jesus' name. And about 4.20, I got a call from my daughter saying they had been in a really serious car accident, but that they were okay. And I talked to the police officer the next day, and he said he does not know how they walked away alive. We know, don't we? We do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. See, the Lord, the Lord is trying to show us as parents the protection that we need. And if you take a godly mother, like, and I know this woman is a godly woman, she always praying for her children. She's always at the throne of grace. So, by being a godly mother, the Lord will easily communicate with the mother to pray for your children. And He'll do it some way, like a vision or a dream or whatever, and when he does that, when he flashes something and you see that, don't just take that as just something. It's for real. That was God trying to show you what's fixing to happen. So continue to cut in, doing just exactly what she did. Come against the forces of darkness and send the angels to protect your children and then expect it to happen. And just like it did, uh, it did happen. So praise the King. Great testimony. Anything else before we quit tonight? Oh, okay. A question? I just wanted to tell that lady there that there are other things that you can do. When I flew to California, um, I put them a huge blessing on that house. Amen. I rebuked the demons out of them. I said, I anointed the door. I said, no demons are allowed in this house, the windows, and no one is allowed to bring them in. And I prayed for their marriage. I, I I blessed everything. Amen. I said they're coming and going in the whole bit. And, and uh, I got a hold of my grandson when the parents weren't around. And he was old enough. And I had him pray the sinner's prayer on his own. And when my, um, either one of my daughters is having marriage problems, I go to the throne of God and I command Satan to quit blinding their eyes. So you can get around a lot of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't just have to say, well... My son-in-law's a rock star, and my other one's a policeman. And so as, as a I can't get to yeah, them. Yeah. But as a grandparent, and my daughters won't always listen to me. Yeah, sure. But I beat a path around them every time to Amen. the throne and through the kids, whatever. Amen. Because Satan don't give up, and I don't either. That's right. That, now, whoever whoever stays in there the longest is the one that wins. <laughs> so you know, don't never give up. You know, whenever your children, your spouse, or anything else seems to be off on a tangent, go to the throne of grace. You know, go to the, what, honey? Tell them to get the Third Heaven DVD. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've definitely got a DVD back there, a video and everything else uh, on the Third Heaven. 
and we'll teach you how to go to the th- throne of grace, just like Juanita's talking about, and you can get great things done from the throne of grace. And boy, we need it, we need it today, don't we, Juanita, with what's going on out there with our children. Father, we thank you and praise you for the day, for this evening, for your magnificent word, that this magnificent word is full of power. It's given us all these wonderful things, and we are so grateful that you're our Lord and our God, and we love you and praise you and thank you that you've given us these warring angels, and you've given us this book, this owner's manual, and if we will attend to these words, meditate on them day and night, then we will have great success in life, we will be prosperous, and we will have a long, healthy life. And we thank you and praise you, Father, for all these promises which belong to the church. All the believers, they're ours. So, Father, thank you for this day. And bless everyone here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.